Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Wow. There's a... Uh, good morning, Mike Sielski. How good are morning, you? Glenn uh, Mack now. So, sorry to make people live through that moment one more time. Happy but, 2024! Yeah, there's a, boy, there's a lot to... to there's a lot to... to to get out of that thing, one is kind of the matter-of-fact resignation in Merrill's voice. Merrill does not hide it Mm-mm. when he is uh, displeased or despondent. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Mike Quick letting the fans know that the Eagles aren't playing poorly on purpose. They just <laughs> stink. <laughs> and, of course, the low spark of booze from the audience. Ooh, I, I didn't, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Low spark. I, they were pretty loud. They were pretty loud. Uh, good morning, everybody. He's Mike Sielski. I'm Glenn Mack. Now, we are witnessing the worst collapse in this city since the 1964 Phillies. Maybe the 1994 Rich Cotide Eagles, but I think nobody really believed in that team. That team started 7-2 and two and then lost every game after that, but I think people thought it was a fraud. And and to, to which point, Mike, I guess I should give credit to the people here who saw it coming. Mm-hmm. And we had callers, and we talked to people, and I denied it. And those people who, when the Eagles were 10-1, and 1, said, mm, they, they, they ain't real. I, 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 it didn't sell to me at the time. I thought winning close was their brand. Wait till they turn it on. But, boy, they fizzled. And those people, I, I'll, I'll salute them as visionaries. Yeah. In retrospect, and I forget who made this point originally, and I want to credit him or her, and I can't remember who it was, so I apologize. But in retrospect, Glenn, I wonder if that San Francisco 49ers loss, 42-19, to 19, mm-hmm. was the equivalent in some way of the bully getting punched back. Mm. And once that happens, the bully isn't quite as tough and isn't quite as confident in himself, and something changes. And I wonder if there's something to that because – I was kind of like you. I thought, all right, they lost badly to the 49ers and to the Cowboys. That's bad for their hopes of getting back to and winning the Super Bowl. But I didn't necessarily think it made them and also ran in the NFC, which is what they've played like over the last three or four weeks, really. Uh, That loss to Seattle, where you burp up a fourth-quarter lead, and lose a game that you're supposed to win, that was telling to me. Uh, I didn't think at the time that demoting Sean Desai could reasonably be called a panic move because the defense had played so poorly in recent weeks, and I also thought that, wow, how much worse can Matt Patricia be? Well, 
it's been worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot worse, and it was never worse than against the Cardinals on New Year's Eve. All right, five quick points that I'd like to bring up. They may really kind of be self-evident, but let's discuss. We'll invite the callers to join us from there, 215-592-9494. And you just brought up the, the biggest culprit is certainly the collapse of the defense and, and, the, and the depth of the pass rush. Yep. And so – you know, why? What happened? We'll, we'll deep dive into the rush when we do the stupid football bet in the mm-hmm. next segment. Spoiler alert, it draws close. It does. Uh, and, you know, and maybe the defense overall gets better when Slay comes back. Uh, Avante, he was terrible the other day. Yeah, and and kind of put in an unfair position yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he should have played, played 15 plays and, yep. and gone down. But <clears throat> it is clear that whatever was wrong, Matt Patricia, is not the answer. No, he's trying to run someone else's scheme, right? I mean, you're entering into a new position in midseason. Pardon me. He's What he did in New England and Detroit as a head coach and a defensive coordinator is not what Sean Desai and the Vic Fangio school of defense uh, was doing. It's not what the Eagles were doing. And so, to a certain degree, he's been put in a bad position. Having said that, and again, we'll get into this in the second segment, I'm not sure dropping Hassan Reddick into coverage a bunch of times during the game is the answer to what ails the Eagles. Certainly not the answer to help you win the bet. No. Well, we'll uh, get into that. So he yeah. said, Hassan Reddick said after the game, or, or I guess earlier this week, uh, whether the Eagles' defensive struggles against the Cardinals had to do with changing coordinators. And he said, I think a lot of it. We changed coordinators. They got a different style, a different way they want things done, and that's pretty much what it is. Matt Patricia's in there now. He has certain ways that he wants to do things, and we're doing our best to adapt to that in the time period we have, trying to get everybody on the same page. Yeah, okay, great. That's really what I want my team to do is try to figure out a system week 17 of the NFL. Yeah, go back and look at the replays of some of those defensive snaps in that Cardinals game, Glenn, and you can see – Eagles players moving all over oh, yeah. the place. Oh, yeah, three guys follow the guy. It's <laughs> like watching a line change in a hockey yeah, game. It was terrible. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, good. Yeah, it was guys didn't know where to I be. I saw the play you're talking about. I yeah. think it was the winning touchdown. I think it was. Yeah, it was and, dreadful. And you end up with Reddick trying to cover a tight end, and he's yeah. just getting blown off the ball, and it's it's not good. All right, point number two, or question number two. Mm-hmm. Is Nick cooked uh, in the sense that, that the, 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 the offense is so simple – to me, it can drive you nuts, and mm. I, and I don't know if it's fixable. I know Brian Johnson's calling the plays. Uh, I don't know how much Nick is in his ear telling him what plays to call. My thing with Nick that I wonder right now is whether he is the latest in in incarnation of Ray Rhodes in mm. a guy who came in and did great, and then didn't have a plan B when the other team figured out plan A or Chip. Yeah. I mean, Chip out of the other issues, but one of his issues was he came in and the league had no idea how to like put up 58 points against Washington. Like, oh, my God, it's going to be revolutionary. And then once the other teams caught on to that, he didn't have like, okay, now we're going to go here. We're going right. to zig and zag. And I just wonder if Nick seemed so great last year, was, was that it? That's a great question. And I think it's tied primarily to – the next topic slash player we're going to talk about, which is Jalen Hurts. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of this story is going to be written with respect to Nick Sirianni over the next two-plus weeks if there is a plus, if they win, actually win the wild card game. Uh, I think if this season ends badly and it ends with Jalen Hurts not playing to his full potential, I think 
things could get hairy for Nick Sirianni. Doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be fired this offseason, but it does mean that all of a sudden he's going to be on notice with Jeffrey Lurie. Because I think Jeffrey Lurie, yes, absolutely wants to win football games and wants to win Super Bowls. But Jeffrey Lurie also wants his head coaches to maximize the quarterback position and the talent that he believes is there and the investment that he as a franchise owner makes in that position. Yeah. And if the perception— well, we've seen it. Yeah. yeah. And, and if the perception is that Nick is not getting everything out of Jalen Hurts that he possibly can, Jeffrey Lurie has shown that he will move on from a head coach in that situation. It's amazing to me. Listen, they were 4-11-1, right, the year yeah. before he got here. Mm-hmm. He gets in the playoffs his first season after a 2-5 and five start. Yes. And he gets into the Super Bowl his second. Yep. And now it just all seems to be falling apart. One of the things that I will wonder is how much of it he is doing the way it should and how much he is doing the way that the ownership wants him to do it in terms of those play calls because I think that there's a smarter way to run this offense, which I could stand by a garbage can outside the Novacare Center and tell <laughs> him what to do because well, it's, you got those big, you got three or five offensive linemen in the Pro Bowl. Let him go forward. Here's the thing, Glenn. Yeah. Um, and you and I have gone back and forth about this, and, and no, I, I do think they need to run the ball more effectively. But I'll say this. When they were 2-5 and five in 2021, and everybody was wondering, can Sirianni even be a head coach in this league? And they changed their offense completely, and they built it around running the football and having Jalen run out of the, the RPOs and those situations. Mm-hmm. And they turned their season around, went from 2-5 and five to a 9-7 and seven record. They lost a meaningless end of the regular season game. But they were 9-7. and seven, got into the playoffs. What was that entire subsequent offseason entirely about for the Eagles? Are they going to trade for Russell Wilson? Oh, yeah. I know. yeah. Why, why? Why was that discussion happening? Because the Eagles, i.e. Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman, and the thinking that has defined this franchise for a quarter century, don't want to build around running the football. I know. I they know. want to build around a quarterback, and they weren't sure at the time that Jalen Hurts was the guy. Yes. And then Jalen Hurts showed that he was the guy, and then they handed him a big contract, and now Jalen hasn't been as good this season as he's been last season, and that's the component of this that everybody has right, to keep so in mind. So let's get to that. Let's get to part three of, of the five points I wanted to raise to you, which is, yes, Jalen Hurts is not harmless in this thing. And by the way, he played well last week. Yeah. I, I'm not looking at it as like a snapshot of that game because I, I thought he played well. I mean, he certainly I, – I, I please – I want no one to infer that I'm suggesting he's gone south, you know, in any kind of Carson Wentz way or whatever. But he has struggled this mm-hmm. year. Uh, injury or not, poor decisions, turnovers. Uh, he's certainly not running like yes. he used to, which I think is a big deal. I think next I think year maybe too. we find out who the real Hurts is. Is it that he's moved on from that part of his game or he gets it back? We've seen him great last year. Mm-hmm. We've seen him great at times this year. Can he get back to that both in terms of physical performance and making the right reads and decisions? And I, can he get back to it starting at 4.30 tomorrow and then keep it going for the next few weeks? I, I think he's got to be coached in the right way, and I don't know if that's happening. Um, if you remember, for instance, earlier this week, and we'll get to the A.J. Brown kerfuffle in a minute, but one of the things that A.J. said when he finally spoke to the media was that he revealed – that the interception that hurts through at the end of the Seahawks game, that deep pass to AJ Brandt, to AJ, yeah, when the Eagles should have been playing for a game tying yes. field goal, was an audible at the line by Jalen. 
And there's got to be a time and a place for something like that, right? Like, mm-hmm. you have to know time, score, situation. And my question would be, okay, I'm sure Nick Sirianni pointed that out to Jalen. Is Jalen going to change what he does and how he plays in the future knowing that? Or is he going to continue to make calls like that that might lead or contribute to losses? So, Well, you had a piece today, you had a column today, uh, where you talked a lot about well, a lot of different things. But you, you notice his completion percentage, touchdown percentage, yards per attempt, yards per game. Passer rating, total quarterback rate. Boy, you got your 1,100 words just in this list. Didn't sure you? did, man. Quarterback <laughs> rushing It was attempts. longer than the name of one of Daryl Dawkins' dunks. <laughs> and yards <laughs> per rushing attempt have all dropped his interception total and interception percentage more than doubled. And then you kind of, I mean, the, the major point of your column is how important is Hurts to Nick's fate? Very important. To me, the biggest, most important factor. Uh, and if Jeffrey Lurie, as I said a minute ago, perceives that his $255 million quarterback is not progressing in the way that he should, then Jeffrey Lurie is going to do something about it. Whether it happens this offseason or sometime in the near future, it's going to happen. And so to answer your question, I don't know yet whether we're going to see Jalen get back to running the ball the way that he did and moving the way that he did uh, because he's been dealing with this knee thing all year and it's gotten better at times, it's looked like, but uh, he's still moving very slowly at times, and his rushing numbers are just down, with the exception of the tush push. Yeah. He hasn't been the dynamic right. ball carrier He's got the touchdowns, year. but that's about it. Exactly. All right. All of this brings us around to A.J. Brown. Mm. Uh, I want to say on the record, I'm on Team A.J. I am too. I know. I am too. I think, for one, A.J. Brown and Hassan Reddick are really the two best players you have on the team. It, they're they're all pros. Well, they're not the only all pros, but they're all pros, pro bowlers on this team. And to me, when you, you those are the guys you need to get at the top of the game plan every week, rather mm-hmm. than dropping Hassan Reddick into coverage and having AJ Brown get one target in the second half of last week's game. Right, they're the guys who are going to win the game for you, and that hasn't been the plan. And so, to me, the whole oh my god, the 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 question the focus being his reaction and his emotions is secondary to to me about we should be focusing on why is he feeling that way what's going on and to me that's the bigger thing he spoke this week um i think we're kind of over parsing everything mm-hmm. i think everybody looked at every line and made too much of it uh, i think he handled things fine he doesn't want to talk when he's frustrated i get it he doesn't want to say the wrong thing you and, and uh, Jeff McClain had written stories kind of about his, his past, and he knows that he wants to be careful with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, I thought what he said was pretty innocuous. He apologized for others having to speak for him. He was real. He yeah. was genuine. I, I mean, way in here. Look, he wasn't doing sit-ups in the driveway over his contract. Oh, man. One of the greatest days on the air. <laughs> uh, it's not- uh, hold on. Let me just remember that day so fondly for WIP. Not all. Oh, was it good for us? I'm sure it was. I remember being in Bethlehem, just watching that on television. At, I was at Eagles training camp and watching that on TV. Go, I can't believe I'm seeing this. But be that as it may, not all Eagles wide receiver controversies are created equal. There are differences here. And A.J. Brown is not, I don't think, your typical selfish diva, stereotypical wide receiver. He's frustrated, and he has said this because he wants the ball because he thinks it will help the team win. And I believe him when he says that. 
is he showing his frustration in ways that may be counterproductive? Yeah, but I don't think it's it's born out of maliciousness or selfishness. I think it's born out of genuine frustration. I also think he's a 26-year-old young man who spends a little too much time on social media and would benefit from turning his phone off and doing the thing that you always tell me not to yeah, do. Yeah, I was going to say, you're talking is, about yourself here right, right now. not pay as much attention to the people ragging you on Twitter yes. and Instagram and social media. Yeah, ignore that stuff. Ignore it. And look, he's 26, I'm 48. He's grown up with it. It's going to be a little more challenging for him to do that. The point being, I thought he handled himself fine the other day in the locker room, and I do think that getting him the ball, as you said, ought to be the number one priority of this offense. Yeah. He's your best player on offense. Let's make him happy. Yeah. Let's make him happy by getting him the ball. There you go. All right, finally, fifth point. Uh, I think we need to look at Howie. I think that a lot of the problems the team has right now are personnel-related. I mean, this seems pretty self-evident, but particularly on the defense. Uh, Javon Hargrave left, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, T.J. Edwards, on offense, Isaac Samalu. Uh, there were other Sanders for Swift or Swift for Sanders. I think is a, mm-hmm. that's a good move. That's a positive move. And I know the choices have to be made, and you can't keep everybody. And you know they're looking at Jalen Hurts' huge contract and right. so on. But Howie seems to me to alternate between really great years and bad years, and it looks like this is going to be a down year. Byard hasn't helped. Shaq Leonard hasn't helped. Those are kind of midseason desperation moves. And how he ta- how he's skating a little bit. How he yeah. seems to get some of the blame for this. Some of this is a function of the way that they try to sustain success, which is you're going to take shots on what are perceived to be low-risk, high-reward veteran guys to fill in positions. And sometimes they're going to work out, and sometimes it's not. And it worked out last year with someone like James Bradbury. It worked out in the 2017-18 season with – Chris Long and Torrey Smith and LeGarrette Blunt and mm-hmm. a dozen other guys, right? Uh, but sometimes it doesn't, and that's one of this is one of those occasions and years where it hasn't. I do think the absence of Javon Hargrave and replacing him with Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter has been a bigger drop-off than people anticipated it would be. Hargrave was really, really good last season. Uh, and Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter has been at times, but together those two guys have not been Hargrave, and I think that's that's one of those examples. I saw a stat yesterday um, on the internets, which is most pressures by two guys on one NFL team, mm-hmm. um, and the team of Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat is sixth, which is actually higher than I thought, 133 yeah. combined, since I haven't seen Josh Sweat do anything for the last <laughs> month, but nonetheless sixth. But at the top of the list, Nick Bosa and Javon Hargrave. Yeah, so. that that internal up the middle pressure. Yeah, matters. Yeah. All right. So that's what we got to start the show. We're gonna to want to hear from you two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Here's one you rarely see. Brian Middleton's uh, his subject line is Sealski is right. Hallelujah, Brian. <laughs> hey there. Hey. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, always love listening to your show, uh, but. I definitely uh, encourage you to call Mike. You're you're absolutely right on point regarding the quarterback. And I was thinking about Jalen Hurts in this season, all of the turnovers. No quarterback, particularly a 25 year old, is not a is a finished product. Right. And part of the equation is helping your quarterback to continue to develop. And to me, it's not about him running. And I was listening to Greg Cosell. He was uh, he had a, a segment on with Colin Cowherd. And he said the issue that he's seen with Jalen Hurts 
this season, and he said this was something that came up when he was drafted out of Alabama. It was a whole issue of processing, hmm. you know, information, and that's that's fine. That's you know, and the thing is, I love Jalen. He's a hardworking guy, but the the bottom line, the coaching staff. I don't know who the quarterbacks coach is. I know Brian Johnson because he has his responsibilities as officer coordinator. He probably doesn't have time to deal with sort of the the specific elements of just, you know, improving as a quarterback. And obviously even Nick Sirianni, his background is as a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to pay attention to this. Yeah. I mean, because the things happen so quickly, you know, and you need to be able to understand yeah. what the defense is doing and where to put the ball. Yeah. Here's I mean, the th- really about- go- yeah, go ahead, Mike. No, I was just going to say, Brian, this is one of the underrated aspects of Andy Reid's tenure with the Eagles was the way in which Donovan McNabb improved as a full-fledged quarterback over his three or four first, you know, first three or four seasons with the Eagles. Yeah, when Donovan started out, he ran all over the place and he would create something out of nothing often. But there was a steady upward arc in terms of how well he played the position, kind of culminating in that 2004 season when they got to the Super Bowl and he had Terrell Owens. And right. it's 31 touchdowns and eight interceptions or whatever it was, and he was great. Jalen right. has to Jalen has to show that same sort of progression if Jeffrey Lurie's going to trust that Nick Sirianni is the guy to be Jalen Hurts' coach for Jalen Hurts' career with the Eagles. And we're fully – I think everyone is in agreement that Jalen is willing to put the work in. So the question is, how is he being taught? And and that's you know the because you know look at you know Justin or Herbert and the, the charge mm-hmm. reason why they yeah. got rid of their coach yeah. is because again they're not maximizing the the talent around them you know I look around I was looking at sort of some of the college quarterbacks I was looking at Michael Penix Jr. Mm. for the last month yeah. who looks and really good watching watching how this guy processes sort of information I see blitzes coming off the edge and he just simply casually moves to the side and gets the ball in the right area I'm saying. You have to have a plan. And look at what Todd Munkin has done with Lamar Jackson. I yeah. think it's amazing yeah. how that offense is. And, it's, and the thing is, it's not necessarily elaborate throws. It's simple throws. But getting the ball to the open receiver and allowing that guy to make something happen. And it seems like with our offense, every time Jalen is throwing the ball, it seems like it's almost like a contested throwing catch. Uh, I hear you. And, and Brian, some great points. Thank you so much. Up to and including the Mike Sealski is my part. Um, <laughs> hey, I'll so, take it when I can get it, Glenn. Come on. So do you believe next year we will see yet again two new coordinators? I think it's very possible. I think it's very possible. I mean, clearly you see a different defensive coordinator. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. gosh. So yeah. that's that's the given. Yeah. I, I would wonder if Frank Reich is back as an offensive coordinator here. I would I would wonder about that. <laughs> I really would. You know, and and to buttress the last part of uh, the point Brian was making, the inverse of what we saw with McNabb here was Carson Wentz, right? Carson Wentz regressed. Carson Wentz went from being a dynamic player in his second year with the team to not understanding, to never understanding, how to really play the position, how, how to take what's in front of you, take what the defense is giving you. Don't try to make the spectacular play. Take the swing pass to the back out of the backfield or the five-yard gain out of the tight end. And I think that Jalen can be that, be the opposite of Wentz, can be the kind of quarterback you can absolutely build around. Mm-hmm. But he's got to take a few more steps in that direction. I agree. 215-592-9494 coming up. We will, well, we'll take one 
last look at the stupid football mm. bet as producer Dan Wilson wets his lips thinking about pasta primavera and, in his case, chocolate ice, ice cream. cream. Yeah. <laughs> at Ralph's. Uh, it's it, it draws close. We'll talk to James in North Does Philly. the playoffs not count this year? Uh, you, only if it's a tie. Right? Do only, we agree on that? Yeah, only if it's a tie. Okay, we went I forgot to the how that worked last year. Yes. Because it was a tie. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, only if it's – right, we're, we're in agreement yep, on that. Yep, absolutely. Okay, I didn't want to – On the record. Say that. Okay, yes, only if it's a tie. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. With Mike Sealski, I'm Glenn Mack, now 215-592-9494. All right, it is time, my friend, mm. that we get to it. We go back to last week. Boy, everything seems so good at the moment, Mike. At the time, it did, sure. Eagles are up 7-3. to three. Cardinals have a second and three at the Eagles 20. They're driving, getting a little nervous. Kyler Murray throws back to pass. And this happens. All right, all right. Let's not come on. A sack's a, a sack. A blue it's dart in the scorebook. Yeah. for the bet. Yeah, blue dart in the scorebook. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. It's a legitimate <laughs> sack. By the way, I do want to play the next play before we get into details because okay. the next play is one of the great plays of the season. This is so after he gets shaken by that incredibly hard hit he just took. Mm-hmm. Right. Kyler Murray does this. Barry in the gun. He's back. He's looking. He is looping it. And it's intercepted. Intercepted. Coming out with it is Brown. Down the sideline. Sidney Brown cuts back at the 50. He's at the 40. He cuts inside the 30, the 20, the 10, the 5. Touchdown, Sidney Brown. Oh, the leak is going to rock today. Oh, my goodness. What a great return. Now, Merrill. This is a ball that Kyler Murray throws in one area, and the receiver's going to a different area. Yeah, the receiver went the wrong way, or Murray threw the wrong way, but nonetheless, it was it was Eric Allenian. How would I put that as a as an adverb? <laughs> Eric Allenian. Uh, <laughs> it was Eric Allen in its in it its was. beauty. It was. It was a great, great play, and at that point, everybody thought, okay, the Eagles are back, and they're going to steamroll this team, and they're going to be twelve and four heading into a game against the Giants. And yet, Glenn, here we are. And there was no more sacks in the game by no. anybody. Forget no. you guy, my guy. There was nothing. No, no that the, the pressure died as it did against the Giants, which is just a huge concern to me. So here we are, my friend, with one game left in the stupid football bet. Mm-hmm. I trail by one to review. You have total sacks this season by Hassan Reddick. Yep, eleven. Yeah, he was hot in the middle of the season, and then. Matt Patricia came along and started using him as a cornerback. <laughs> right. The guy with the pencil in his ear is not helping you very no, much. No, he is not. Stop dropping Hassan Reddick into coverage seven times in that game against the Cardinals. And guess what, Glenn? Kyler Murray completed all seven passes in those situations. Is that Stunning. right? Oh, there you go. Stunning. So Reddick was asked this week about dropping into coverage at the rate he has, and he said, I think that would be a conversation for another time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, he's being the good teammate there. He is. He There's is. a lot of things, but like I said, I'm just trying to do what's asked me right now, knowing what's in front of us right now. I mean, that's read between the lines you know, and, there. And here's the other dynamic to this too, Glenn. If you remember in training camp, Reddick said publicly that he thought he should he deserved a new contract. Yeah. Be, based on the production he had last season, 
based on his performance in the postseason when he was the Eagles' best defensive player. Uh, he was not getting paid and is not getting paid a salary equal to or even in the ballpark of several of the elite pass rushers around the NFL. And so he comes back from the broken hand, doesn't have a sack for the first three games of the season, and then goes on a tear. He's He gets his 11 in like a eight- or nine-week span, I think. And now he's dropping back into coverage. Yeah. He's not just playing to help the Eagles win, which of course he is. He's playing for his money. He wants his money. The man wants his money, and he's going to get it by sacking quarterbacks. He's not going to get it by covering opposing tight ends. Yeah, well, I think that's. I think this would be a conversation. He's playing for your money, too. He's playing for my money, too. I don't want to have to pay for your dinner at Ralph's. All right, you have 11 sacks from Hassan Reddick. I've got, in the deal, all sacks combined by former Georgia Bulldogs, and I got 10. Mm -hmm. That one from Jalen Carter last week gives him six for the year. This year's Defensive Rookie of the Year. Could very well be. Two and a half from Jordan Davis, and I think those two and a half were like in the first three weeks. Yeah, he's, he's, he's been missing in action for you for a while. Yeah. And for the Eagles, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, and certainly drawing a lot of criticism for his play. Yeah. Uh, I got one by the very disappointing first-rounder, Nolan Smith. Yeah, yeah. I, I think everybody expected more out of Smith this season, and he has not delivered. I got a half a sack by the ghost of N'Kobe Dean. Remember him? Who knew that N'Kobe Dean was the key to the entire Eagles defense? <laughs> and I you got none, none by Keely Ringo, who uh, I remember I praised him so much last week for how he played. He yeah, like not a so much. No, he got beat a lot. Not so much. So, Jenner Ralphs is on the line. You got a one-sack lead going into the last week. If it is a tie, mm-hmm. then we go into overtime into the playoffs, through the playoffs? Yes. Okay, not one week. Decides, no, because last season, through the playoff. last Although season, one week could decide. But we go through the as long as they play. Right. Last okay. season, if you remember, you won on a Britton Covey punt return in the oh, Super Bowl. That's right. Yeah. Oh, let's savor that. <laughs> Doing a lot of savoring. See if you can find morning. that. We'll play that all day. Have you ever had a dead tie, like into overtime, still tied after the playoffs? No. What no, do we do last then? Last week was the was that. We, if we do, we split it. We go to the shootout, or nah, we split yeah. it. <laughs> How are you gonna? If, if we do, I tell you what. If it's a tie, actually, we we had this rule one year. Ray and I had this rule for one of the stupid bets. If it's a tie, the producers buy. Oh, that's that sounds great. All right, yeah. you agree with that? Mike? I'm down with sounds that. Sounds like a okay. deal to me. Yeah. There you go. If it's a tie, the producers buy. Is that in the rule book? Yeah, it is, it is now. Yeah. Five minutes, and it, and it will. Dan's going to get an online degree from the University of Georgia and run out on the field against the Giants. <laughs> get a half a sack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's there. You go. And boy, they just they look so old and slow on defense. They, and they just... do. And and th- th- this is a point I wanted to make in the opening segment, Glenn, when you were asking about why the pass rush isn't quite as good, is nearly as good this season as it was last season. I think it's two primary reasons. Number one, as we mentioned. The departure of Javon Hargrave, who had 10 sacks from a defensive tackle position last year, has been terrific for the 49ers this season. Just a really good player uh, who the Eagles wanted to keep and couldn't. The other thing is uh, that while Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox are still playing quite a bit and are still pretty good players, you have to remember that Brandon Graham had a career-high 11 sacks last yeah, season. Yeah. And Fletcher Cox had a terrific season last season. They are not young players. They, they're not young players anymore. And asking those guys to replicate that level of production is a little much. Okay. And I think part of that is certainly they've lost – and James in North Philly, I, I see, I apologize. We'll get to you in a second, I promise. Part of that is they've lost depth there. Yep. 
they're not and, – and, I mean, clearly you mentioned the biggest thing, which is Javon Hargrave leaving, but they got contributions from a lot of people. Sweat is not nearly as good this year, and it could be because he's just gassed. He's not playing that. He's, he's not he's playing more. It. Yeah, he's playing more than he did last right. year. Right, which again leads me to wonder why is it that they decided that they were going to let a first-round pick go, Derek Barnett, because he was unhappy. Mm-hmm. I know he wasn't productive, and I know he often got stupid penalties, but – was the plan just Nolan Smith will be fine because he's not, and Derek Barnett is tearing it up for the Houston Texans. He has, what, two and a half sacks in the last three or four and weeks. seven pressures. Yeah, he's playing really well. I, I seven quarterback hits, excuse me, seven yeah, quarterback hits. I, I don't know the context of that, Glenn. I haven't watched the Texans right, closely enough to know. Maybe they're using Barnett differently. Maybe this is a case where a player just needed new surroundings to kind of wake himself up or find the guy he was always supposed to be. I don't know. But they sure could use a player like the one Derek Barnett has been for the Houston Texans. They could use depth. Yeah. Really what they could use. All right. James in North Philly, appreciate your patience. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey there. Hey, how you doing? This All right. This is having uh, me on. Uh, no worries on the wait. I'm, I'm used to waiting for you guys. I Thank you. Bring the call. Thanks, James. Uh, so I, I heard the point. But maybe jump on when you guys said that uh, you guys think that, uh, well, I don't know which one of you said it, but uh, Jalen Hurts was having a worse season than last year. Well, yeah, statistically, um, he is. What statistics are you looking at? Virtually all of them. I'll call him up. Hold on. I mean, he, he's. Well, like do I, you think he's I having mean, as good I, a season as last I, year? That's what, so that's, that's, that's what I was going to get to. Um, like, like, I remember when Lamar Jackson rushed for 1,000 yards and ran a two for 4,000, and then after that he didn't do that, they tried to say that he regressed. Um, it's like, do we have a feeling of where someone can reach where they're like, I mean, no, they're not going to get to there again. But why would you think that they regress if they don't statistically reach the same bar? And I and I don't want to argue. I just want to see what you guys think because I hear often and I, uh, like Pat Mahomes didn't throw for fifty touchdowns this year. And I don't hear anyone saying that he's regressed. Well, I, I would like, I would frame it this way, James. Oh, I think he's, I think Mahomes has regressed. <laughs> yeah, and I would I would frame it this way too. And and I said this and wrote this in the column that's on Inquirer dot com right now. There are at right. least twenty five other NFL teams, at least who would happily take the Jalen Hurts who has played for the Eagles this season over whatever quarterback they have, right? So some of this is a matter of degree. But the facts are that uh, – Let me let me read them. Go please. ahead, Glenn. All right, James, here you go. Last year he threw six interceptions. This year he throws 14. His interception percentage last year, 1.3. This year, 2.7. Last year his quarterback rating was – uh, 68.3, now it's 61.6. Well, that that's that one. The passer rating last year was 100, I'm trying to find, 101.5. This year it's 91.0. I mean, the stats right. are, I mean, they're really, they're all down. It's, right. It's, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. That's oh, I'm, well, that's I'm that's our argue. point. That's that's it. Yeah. I Listen, okay. we don't think he's okay. a bum. That's we it. don't think he's through, but he's okay. not having okay. the year, he's not well, having the year he had last good. year. That's all. All right. Okay, because like I said, I'm, just, I'm listening to all the radio shows throughout the day. I was listening to Howard Eskin. He was defending the Eagles. I just want to make sure that as, as a fan base, we all kind of like still in it to have a little confidence in our players, like the same confidence yeah, but everybody has. Our, our job isn't to sugarcoat it. Our job is to really tell you what we think. Okay, I agree with that. Okay. That's, okay. that's kind of why I'm new to calling in. No, I you bet. You and we, and listen, it, we appreciate it. Don't, no, don't be a stranger, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, my point with respect to Hurts, Glenn, as we said in the previous segment, is not – it's less about Jalen Hurts and his future with the Eagles. It's more about Nick Sirianni and his future with the Eagles because 
if Hertz is regressing, even in the slightest manner, whether you're talking about statistically, you know, the quality of play on the field, all of that stuff, Jeffrey Lurie is more likely to change head coaches than he is to say, sorry, we got to move on from Jalen Hurts. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And and again, listen, I really would love the Eagles to do great and win in the playoffs and go to the Super Bowl and win all that. But it's like I and and I see my role more as a fan than Mike, because you've still got the the most of your uh, life as a newspaper columnist, which is a different gig. Mm hmm. But we ain't putting on the pom-poms. No. It's just not, it's not what we do. No, you have to call things as you see them and come to your positions in good faith. So yeah. that's what we're trying to do. 215-592-9494. We'll bring the other sports, the other local teams, into it the next segment. Uh, 11 o'clock, we're going to talk to Mike's colleague, E.J. Smith, at the Inquirer. Had a really good uh, piece, I thought, today about A.J. Brown. Noon, we're going to talk to our friend, Shikapadia from The Ringer. I've got a TV show to tell you to watch, 1125, and you got a TV special to tell us not to watch? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Okay. Disappointing. Okay, that's too bad. And take your calls all day at 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. If the cold weather has you thinking it's finally time to replace those old drafty windows and doors, well, there's no better time than now to make your home more energy efficient by taking advantage of Guida's big winter sale. Now, the great people at Guided Door and Window, they're extending the big winter sale through the month of January by offering 40% off every window and door you buy. That is right. Receive 40% off each expertly installed, energy-efficient replacement window that also includes high-performance, free high-performance low-E glass. And if you're in need of a new door, you receive 40% off any door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. You can take advantage of Guida's interest-free financing, or a low monthly payment plan to get your project started with no money out of pocket. Offers for a limited time only, so you got to act quickly. If your home needs new windows and doors, call the experts at Guided today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Mike Silski, Glenn Magna, 94 WIP. All right, I want to run through quickly just some things going on with the other local teams, and we'll get to uh, our callers right here. Okay, so number one, Sixers got motorboated last <laughs> night at sure home did. at home losing to the Knicks by 36 <laughs> two things about that did, game. did Clyde yeah. Frazier and Dave DeBusher come back to play wow <laughs> I, uh, know, I know DeBusher passed away a while ago but yeah it's okay the, the point the point holds two things about that game one uh Jalen Brunson was brilliant Glenn could you imagine if the Sixers had mined the talent that has come out of Villanova's basketball program over the last 10 years to any effect. Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, Mikhail Bridges, Dante DiVincenzo. Mm -hmm. Too far away to scout? <laughs> you got to go across the city limits, you know? All right, second point on that one is I know the answer to the rhetorical question I'm about to ask you. Mm -hmm. Why was Joel Embiid still in the game when they were down by 29 with nine minutes to go. Do you want the actual answer? Or do you want me to come up with something pithy and smart? No, say the actual answer. The case. actual answer is so he could extend this streak of his where he has 30 points and 10 rebounds in every yeah. game he plays. Yeah, which cheapens the streak to me. It it's does. Like, don't do that. And he's going to get hurt. Is he going to play tonight? I don't know. Yeah. It's, it, that, that, was, that was a bad look to me. Yeah, not great. All right, number two, uh, the Flyers are kind of falling back to earth, which is disappointing. The Flyers have to play their butts off Every single night yeah. to be the team that they had been or to come close to being the team that they had been. And they're coming off a West Coast trip. 
and they were bad in the third period of that game. Once they took a 2-0 lead against the Blue Jackets, they were not good over the final 15 minutes of that game. They were not good in overtime, uh, and they lose a point. And, look, this is who they are. They're, I know. They're, they're, but I enjoyed them when they played like who they weren't. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> uh, Travis Konecki makes the all-star team. That's nice, smaller, Ed Snydery kind of guy, speaking of which. Uh, we should give the Flyers a little bit of praise that they are holding an Ed Snyder yes. legacy game because, as my friend and yours, Anthony Sanfilippo, pointed out to me, we killed him two years ago when they let Ed Snyder's uh, passing and birthday and they kind of ignored mm-hmm. it. They figured the new ownership, new management has figured out that you honor Ed Snyder. There's a happy medium between bowing to the franchise's history at every turn and allowing that history to kind of govern what you're doing, which I think the Flyers did for too long, and completely ignoring it, which is what they had done recently. And hopefully an event like this gets them back to that happy meeting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and you mentioned the World Juniors. Uh, some good news there, Cutter right? Gauthier looks pretty darn good. Uh, he He looks like one of these players with the kind of – wrist shot and slap shot who can score from anywhere in the offensive zone. He scored a big goal, I think, in the semifinals with about three minutes left. Uh, he looks really good, and Matvey Michkov is back and playing well in Russia. Uh, the future might be pretty bright for this team nice. in a couple of years. Uh, last thing I want to mention, and this relates to the Phillies kind of, which is happy birthday, Charlie Manuel, 80th birthday. 80th birthday, yes. We know it's been a tough year for Charlie, and the best thing I read all week was a Matt Gelb column in The Athletic, which actually is in today's New York Times, mm-hmm. where Charlie and Charlie's wife let him, let Matt into their lives as Charlie is recovering from the stroke and it is a, uh, a a sympathetic piece, an enlightening piece. It's it's one of the best things I've read all year. Yeah, Matt does and has done an absolutely terrific job of covering the Phillies for a long time, first for the Inquirer and now for the Athletic. And I echo what you said, Glenn. Anyone who cares about the Phillies and cares to any degree about Charlie Manuel uh, should read that piece, Matt absolutely knocked it out of the park all right robert in rosemont is with us hello robert hey guys thanks for taking my call yeah you got um if you any previous calls i may have made i told everybody that i played football and that i was an nfl agent for 10 years so i've seen a lot of football and i know high school college pros there's certain things that are just true and in this year what we know to be true is that the ball is getting out faster from all quarterbacks, so two and a half seconds, ball's gone, which means our great advantage from last year is now mitigated, of course. Mm-hmm. We don't have the sacks. We don't have the numbers. The San Francisco 49ers figured out to mush rush Jalen, a shorter quarterback, stay in front of him, hands up. It, it did give him problems. If that's true, then we need to know that our offense needs to keep the ball, period. We need to maintain possession of the ball to reduce the opportunities for the other offenses. And that means we have to run the ball. And we're a team that knows how to run the ball. We've shown it in the past. We have the linemen who can move mm-hmm. to run the ball the same exact way the 49ers run their five wham plays. We have a, we have a runner back, running back who can run like McCaffrey. We have offensive linemen who can block like they block. And they grab giant chunk plays all the time on the ground we can do that too and then play action after that and if you need to take your shots but control the clock control the ball 
we've always been that kind of team, but now we're just thinking, well, we're just going to throw it because we got these great receivers. I, it it doesn't make all the sense, and we've all seen it play out. We've all watched these games. Yeah, he, we know he, that. Go ahead, Ron. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. We well, you know, we know. I mean, no matter how good AJ is, we've seen the ball hit him in the back this year. No matter how good he is. A 50-50 ball, he's got to high point the ball and defeat the defender on the play. Hasn't done it. We just threw an alley-oop into the end zone where Julio Jones fell down and A.J. made no attempt on the ball, and where was Goddard? Yeah. If we don't know how to throw an alley-oop, right? Packers know how to throw an alley-oop, right? You had – They used to. Look, you had a pass that went way high in the air. It came down with a trajectory for one guy. If he could catch it, he caught it. If he didn't, it tipped to a guy in the front yeah. or right. in the back. All right. All right. Let, let me say this. Play. Let Thanks. me say Go this, ahead. Robert. Thanks. Um, can the Eagles block the way the 49ers block? I think the offensive line is still really good. I'm not sure it's as good as it was last season. I don't see it protecting Jalen Hurts in the same way that No, it's not as good as it was last season. Um, it's good. It's very good. You're not as good a guard as you were. You're not good as right guard as you were last season. They miss Malo a little bit. They do. Um, I think Kelsey's having a good year. I think Lane Johnson's not having quite as – well, he was injured part of last year. But, mm-hmm. he, I mean, that incredible streak where he gave up no sacks, that doesn't exist anymore, I think. Uh, my lot has been fine. Uh, my lot is, yeah, good, not great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, so I, I do think – I think a little bit of what we talked about with respect to the defensive line is happening along the offensive line, too, that it doesn't take much of a regression to have an outsized effect on the entire unit, right? Like, the offensive line going from dominant and great and clearly the best in the NFL Mm -hmm. to still really good but not quite as good kind of can – it's chaos theory, right? It multiplies, and – I think that's part of what you're seeing here. I'm not convinced that, and again, this gets back to what you and I have talked about, I'm not convinced that just ramming the ball down another team's throat is what this offense needs. Yeah, I I'm think not it would convinced help. of that. <laughs> I'm more in favor of that because I yeah. think they could do it. I think they, I think they could. I think, I think if I look at San Francisco's offense, mm-hmm. which is predicated on the run, and then the, Purdy's really good and they got guys who can catch the ball and so on, but they can run the ball. At ease, and I don't understand why the Eagles can't do that. I think they should be able to do that. They got these big road grader guys who would love to take that opportunity to just clear out the other team. And I understand the theory. I argue this with Dave Spadaro when I do the the, <laughs> the, the the show every week, which is it's really tough, tougher to navigate a 13 play, 75 yeah. yard drive down the field than to hit a couple long passes and get in there. Yeah, it is. To me, what changes that is my defense is so bad, I want to keep them off the field to whatever extent I can. I can't trust them at all. Yeah. They give up drives every single time to the Arizona stinking Cardinals. <laughs> every time. Yeah. It was astounding how, how the Cardinals just ripped apart the Eagles' defense. So, if I can keep my offense on the field for 38 minutes as opposed to their offense on the field for 38 minutes, I like my chances. I got a better chance to do that with running. Thank you. I rest my case. Okay. But I win. Let me just say this, though. You oh, were able to you were able to do that in 2021 and 2022 with a Jalen Hurts who was the major component of your running attack. Yes, he is not that now. Fair point. I don't have an answer to that. I still want to do it. Okay, but that was a <laughs> legitimate point. I'll give you that. Okay, Steve in Levittown is here. Steve, what do you think about Nick Sirianni's future? 
Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, so I have a question, and then I'll ask, tell you why I'm asking. Mm-hmm. Um, how many years does uh, Sirianni have left on his contract? Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I almost don't think it matters. Yeah, I'm not sure it matters either, Steve, but why are you asking? Because my, I have a theory about all this, I, you know, I think— Excuse, excuse me, Steve. Five, five years, apparently. Five years. It runs through 2025. Okay. All right. Well, I was. I think he lost the team. And I think if you were flying the wall in that locker room after some of these games, your hair would stand on end what you, what, what you might hear. My opinion is I think he's – part of the problem is a lot of problems. But part of the problem is I think he's lost the team. I think why, do you, I don't, I don't, why do you say that? I don't think he has for what it's worth. Yeah, I, I'm curious what your basis of evidence is for that. Because because there's been a lot of innuendos made. Uh, they're not, what, what happens in the, in the locker room when the, when the doors are closed? And play, I, don't, I don't think the players have confidence. I understand one, I that, but I just I need you to kind of give a couple of examples Here, of why you thing, think that. Here's the thing, Steve. The one piece of evidence we have from this week from a player talking about Nick's relationship with the team was AJ Brown praising him for publicly taking the bullets for a, for a mistake that Jalen Hurts made. So I I find it hard to kind of uh, connect those two. If if Sirianni's lost the locker room, then AJ we would have heard something from AJ Brown that suggests Nick has lost the locker room, and we heard the opposite. Well, I, okay, I can understand what you're saying. I, I just feel that there's more going on behind the scenes that that's not, eventually might come out. But if I'm the owner of the Eagles, mm-hmm. I have to really question Sirianni's ability to um, to run this team. I just don't feel – I just feel like based on everything that I've seen and heard, in my opinion, something's wrong there somewhere, and he has lost – some of the confidence okay. of the players. I it's just, I it's certainly. Let me put it this way, that. Steve. It's certainly possible that his methods to get the players and the team to perform at their absolute best aren't working. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the team and the players are looking around at each other saying, this guy doesn't have it anymore. Now, I do think that there's an element, Glenn, and again, you and I have talked about this, I think there is an element of Nick's persona his demonstrativeness on the sidelines, the antics, yelling at fans at Kansas City that I think he should curtail and stop mm-hmm. because it makes it harder to me for him to call out a player for mistakes and errors and not being sharp in the heat of a game when he acts like that. Uh, but I don't see that he's lost the locker room. I just see the team isn't playing well and he needs to figure out how to get it to play well. Yeah, I think, and I'm not trying to, not trying to criticize Nick and his opinion, uh, and 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 ultimately Nick may be right. Uh, yeah, but you mean, you mean Sirianni or no? I'm sorry. Nick, wasn't the last Steve, call his name Nick? Steve. Steve. Excuse me. Yeah, Steve okay. was his name. Pardon me. That's okay. Um, and ultimately he may be right, but I think it's it's generally too easy to say things are wrong. The coach has lost the team. Mm-hmm. Like that. That's it. Now, yeah, he's got to get it right. Yeah, and I think he gets one more year to do that. I think you're probably Unless they right. lose to the Giants, in which case, if they lose to the Giants and then get blown out that first case in the play game of the playoffs, that could change. Boy, it's a, it's going to be a fun game to play. What if, right? What if they lose to the Giants and oh. then win two playoff games? What if they kill the Giants and then lose to the Buccaneers in the wild card round? Yeah, boy, mm-hmm. it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Interesting, hopefully fun. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four with Mike Sealski. I'm Glenn Mack. Now coming up, we're going to talk to 
EJ Smith. We'll ask him if Nick's lost the locker room. He would have a valid opinion He's on that. He's in there a lot. That's right. Mike and Glenn on 94 WIP. Merrill frames it perfectly. His enunciation of the word bitter. Butter. Just hits you right in the gut. Yeah, Ugh, it's like a, a knife to the stomach. It was it was all that and worse. Uh, E.J. Smith, uh, who's a terrific job at the Inquirer, now joins us. E.J. covers the team. And, E.J., I don't have it up. So what is your Twitter handle? like to tell people where they can find you. <laughs> it is uh, E.J. Smith 94. Thanks for having me. There you go. Thank you so much for joining you, us. You know why he has 94 in his Twitter Tell me that's not his birth year, is it? It is oh his birth year. God, really. <laughs> it's so I'm depressing. I'm an old soul. Though. You are an old there soul, EJ. I give you I give you that. <laughs> wow. I think I had a kid in middle school at that point. But nonetheless, EJ, you had a uh, terrific piece today kind of chronicling what occurred with AJ Smith over the last week uh from his frustration through his silence through getting the guys together for some escape room bonding. Um so really kind of what's your thoughts on how he managed the pressure and how he managed his role as a team leader? Yeah, I think that that's a role that he's still sort of figuring out how to navigate. You know, you talk to players across the Eagles locker room, and they, they, you know, allude to as much. And I talked to AJ about this on Friday, and he agreed. Like, this is something that he's not used to, you know, where if he doesn't speak, it can create waves through the locker room and throughout the city. Um, You know, I talked to Britton Covey, and he said it can create waves when AJ's actions, you know, can kind of cause some, you know, can cause some stress throughout the locker room when, you know, people are looking at him and worried about, you know, whatever it is that's going on behind, you know, in his in his head or whatever it may be. So, you know, he, a Britain said like that he does, he can create waves, but he also, you know, has to learn that there are some waves that are better than others. You know, I think that that's something that he's learning how to navigate. I think that we've seen that kind of play out. I mean, look, this is a, a tense team right now for better or worse. You know, they don't have a lot of time to figure this out, to kind of write the ship uh, with the playoffs fast approaching. And, you know, I think that was a big part of the story I wrote today is that, you know, whether or not they figure out how to ease this tension or figure out how to, you know, turn this around, like they definitely have a, an urgency this week. And I think AJ, again, has been trying to navigate, uh, you know, trying to help them through that without hurting it. So, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. You know, the last couple of weeks in the Eagles locker room, you definitely have felt, you know, that unease that they aren't playing the, at the level that they need to play at. Uh, and, you know, we'll see if they're able to turn it around. EJ, to me, the AJ, the A.J. Brown situation is interesting because you've got kind of a divide, I think, between what Eagles fans and people who follow the team think A.J. might be getting worked up about as much as he's getting worked up and what he's actually getting worked up about. And what I mean by that is he's 26 and he spends an awful lot of time on social media. And it seemed to me that some of his stress and strain – over the last couple of weeks, it's not just that the team was playing poorly and and all of that. It was also he was hearing it on social media. And I think I wonder if you could speak to that uh, and how much of a factor you think that has been in what we've kind of seen over the last couple of weeks from AJ and why he's not talking and what's going on here. No, I think it's a major part of this. I think it, it it's not just limited to AJ either. I think a lot of players struggle you know, with handling that, you know, they call it outside noise. I think that might be a little bit reductive, but, you know, you have players who try to say like, oh, we blocked that out. You know, we don't let that get to us. But, you know, then there are players that, you know, like AJ who are almost refreshingly like human about this. You know, they don't like, they don't pretend that they don't hear 
you know, what, what fans say or what, you know, what might be written about them. And, you know, I think that that's something that AJ does struggle with. You know, he talked about how he's, you know, to, he's portrayed as a monster uh, when, you know, whenever he says anything. So, you know, do I think that that might be a little bit, you know, uh, maybe a, a little bit uh, hyperbolic? I, I do, but I think that it speaks to kind of what the environment is like for these guys when they, when they go on their phones and they go on social media. And I think that that plays into the way that this year has gone. You know, I, I think you can overstate it. I think you can make too big of a deal out of, you know, whatever the outside noise or pressure may be. But I think that pressure is an important word for this team this year. You know, I think that they have dealt with a lot of expectations of that they have on themselves and that's come from the outside. Uh, and I think it has impacted the way that they've played this year. All right. Let us um, ask you a question that baffles us, which is what the hell has happened to the pass rush? Yeah, it's honestly one of the biggest uh, confounding things of the year. I think that when you look at the snap counts that these guys have played, I think that's a big part of it. You know, Josh Schwett and Hassan Reddick didn't have quite as uh, big a role in the defense as they did last year. Obviously, they were major players down the down the you know in the end of games, but the the just the number of snaps they played was a lot lower last year. You know, Nick Sirianni would say that the games have been closer, uh, but I think that there also is just a, a matter of this pass rush has fallen off a cliff in the last month or so of the season. I think that, you know, fatigue is a part of it. And I think their rotations just aren't as deep as they were last year. You know, I was actually looking at this earlier today. I think Nolan Smith has six pressures all season, you know, and he hasn't really been able to break into first round pick the rotation. Yeah. yeah I, a fun fact for you, uh, Brian Branch, the Lions safety has more pressures than Nolan Smith uh, this year. Wow. Now listen, he plays a lot more than Nolan Smith. So that's, that's a big reason why, but still, you know, they've, they haven't gotten the same level of production uh, from those edge rushers, uh, you know, or the defensive tackle rotation either. You know, it really starts to call into question why this team let Contavious Street and Derek Barnett go. I know that there were some stats from Derek Barnett uh, a couple of days ago that he's actually been somewhat productive in the Texans uh, defense. So their their rotation's not as strong, and it's kind of led to this dynamic where the, the the top guys are playing a lot more. And you know, that's something dating back all the way to Jim Schwartz, like those. Those guys need to be fresh. You know, you want them, want them to come in waves, and that hasn't been the case as much this season. We're talking to E.J. Smith, one of our terrific Eagles beat reporters at the Philadelphia Inquirer. E.J., when the Eagles made the move to demote Sean Desai and promote, if not in title but in power, Matt Patricia to be their, in charge of their defense, I didn't see it necessarily as a panic move because the defense had not played well against the 49ers and the Cowboys and – it had been spotty throughout the season. Yes, there had been good performances, uh, but it had been relatively inconsistent. But as we've seen over the last few weeks, it's a mess right now under Patricia. What do you see, if anything, that Patricia and the guys on that side of the ball can do to get some sense of stability and competency back to this unit? Because if they play anything like they did against the Cardinals, they're not going to beat the Giants, let alone whoever they get in the playoffs. Yeah, Mike, it's a good question. It's one of those things where, you know, the players' words don't necessarily align with what you're seeing on the field. You hear a lot about Matt Patricia dictating, you know, to other to de- to offenses what they're going to do and being aggressive. And then you watch them uh, on game day, and it feels like they do exactly the opposite. I mean, the Cardinals were ahead of Matt Patricia for most of the game. They, they put the Eagles in situations where Hassan Reddick was kind of forced to drop into coverage just because of numbers games and formations. And that's the exact opposite of what, of what I expected based off of what players were saying about what Matt Patricia was going to bring to the defense. I think 
you know, a big part of this is the personnel. You know, they're just overmatched on the secondary and overmatched at the linebacker position. And, you know, we just talked about the defensive, the pass rush not really getting home. So I think a big part of it's personnel. But I do think that, you know, the, the, the way that this defense could maybe impact a team. Now, listen, the 49ers are really talented. It's not going to be very – it's probably one of those cases where the Eagles are going to have to win a shootout. But I do think that, you know, you've seen defenses across the NFL be aggressive and sort of dictate – the way that players have talked about it. I think at this point, though, like, Mike, I, I actually felt like the Patricia thing was a panic move at the time, and I think we've seen that bear out. I mm-hmm. think that trying to change the defense on the fly this late in the season has – I think you're seeing the adverse effects of it. You know, you're seeing, like, just morale almost. You start to wonder about how players feel about the, all the changes just based off of the fact that – I mean, this team gave up 221 rushing yards last week. I think it's the fourth time in the last 10 years that that's happened. So – yeah, I think a, a big part of it's personnel, a big part of it's just mentality. But, you know, are they going to be able to be aggressive and kind of force the 49ers into some looks? I think they've been trying to do that, and I think that, honestly, that opposing offenses have just been ahead of them so far. It's the worst defensive performance they had, and I, I, I saw it. I don't know if it was your story or something else, like 30-something years. Yeah, it, it was all, crazy yeah. bad. All crazy things, bad. All combined. Is there anything they can do against the Giants that will make you personally – others the fan base feel more confident going into the playoffs not really if i'm being honest you know i think this game is going to be a pretty strange one because of all the outside circumstances i could see the eagles trying to take i think the eagles the sense i get is that they want to have a you know a good complete game you know i don't think they're going to be you know looking for the first excuse to pull starters but i also think you know if if the cowboys get up to an early lead i could see them trying to take their foot off the gas a little bit there. So we'll see. I, I just – I don't really think there's anything that I can see from this team that would make me feel any different. I think that we've seen this team for 17 games. I think that this team is what this team is at this point. Obviously, it's been an up-and-down 17 games. But even when they were winning games, there were a lot of valid concerns. And you hear a lot of the players talk about that uh, we we just find ways to win. But I, I think that we've seen that bear out, that, you know, you find you, – find yourself in these close games you, you aren't able to put teams away uh it comes back to bite you so not really i don't really think there's a whole lot that i could see at metlife tomorrow uh you know that would make me feel differently about the the the, the wild card round coming up and you know anything that may happen after that given that's the case for you ej would you play the starters or would you give them some time to rest and recuperate i think you have to play the starters you know the, as much as i don't think the cowboys are going to drop that game against the commanders Obviously, the Commanders are going to rest a lot of starters, and the Commanders are—they are currently in place for the number two pick in a in a draft with two gener- generational quarterback prospects. So I feel like they are very incentivized. We know that Josh Harris uh, knows the value. Oh of- God, <laughs> you know he's you—you uh, you bring that name up. There's nobody that infuriates yeah. me more than that guy. Yeah, yeah, the draft position is not going to be lost on him. So I think the Cowboys are you know going to be able to take care of business. But stranger things have happened. We've seen Week 18 games where. You know, coaches on the way out, teams that are kind of about to get, uh, you know, dismantled. We see them kind of rally around each other and win games. So I think the Eagles kind of need to go into this game with the hope that they can still get the number two seed. I don't think that they can, you know, just completely take their foot off the gas. But I also think, again, if you see the Cowboys get up to an early lead, it wouldn't surprise me if they, they tried to, you know, turtle up a little bit. Well, that'll make for a fun afternoon. Uh, <laughs> will one or either or neither of the coordinators be back next year? I'd be surprised if both were back at this point. I feel like the, with the mess that has been the defensive side of the ball, I think they need a reset. I think they need a reset philosophically more than anything. I think that this prioritization of the Vic, the Vic Fangio tree and the limiting explosive plays, 
I understand that that's Nick's philosophy, but I almost think that they need to just, again, have a hard reset and try and figure out a different way to play defense that fits their personnel a little bit better. Um, you know, whether that's a head coach of the defense, you know, an older guy in the Wade Phillips, Jim Schwartz uh, mold, or, if you know, they interviewed some college coaches, some college defensive coordinators last year, like Jesse Minter uh, and Glenn Schumann. I think that those are interesting names is like, you know, in three or four years, those are the offenses, you're, the schemes you're going to be seeing on offense are the college schemes anyway. You might as well have somebody who's a little bit of an innovative thinker. I can see them going either way, uh, but I do think that philosophically they need to change. Offensively, I'm a little bit less bullish on it. I mean, maybe I, I'm scarred from the Mike Grow experience. You know, uh-huh. the Eagles kind of stick with that. But I think Nick is going to go to bat for Brian. I think that I think Brian does get a little bit of the outsized blame for where the offense is at. I think Jalen and Nick have their hands in that too. Uh, so on defense, I think they need a, a, a significant change on offense. I can see it going either way. Last one for me, EJ. Uh, we have both been around Nick a lot when he has praised Frank Reich to the high heavens. I know and agree with you that he'll go to bat for Brian Johnson, but is what are the chances you think that come next season Frank Reich is somewhere involved in the Eagles' offense uh, as a coach of some sort? Oh, I could certainly see him being one of those senior offensive assistants or analysts. Like, that's a Nick thing. You know, with his staff, you often see a, a guy who he's close with, like Marcus Brady is the example this year. You know, a guy who he's, he's close with who can sort of be an assistant behind the scenes that helps out. And, you know, in Matt Patricia's uh, case, it turns out, like, sometimes those are full or breaking case of emergency hires, too. So I could see Frank Reich being on the staff. You know, I know they're obviously, like you said, Nick and Frank are close. Uh, I think Frank's track record as a play caller, at the very least, it, it speaks for itself. As a head coach, it's a little bit shakier, but he is a good coordinator. So I think having him in the building would be a beneficiary thing for the Eagles if he wants to do that, if he's interested in it. But, yeah, I would be surprised if he was, you know, week one play caller, offensive coordinator. But definitely, like, they, they definitely like to stash those, like, guys that Nick's close with somewhere on the staff. All right, and the last one for me, EJ. What do you think the chances are that, well, we didn't know it at the time, last week ended up being the last home game in which we will ever see Jason Kelsey, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham perform? I mean, unfortunately for Eagles fans, I think it's pretty high. You know, I don't – like I, we were talking about the Cowboys game. I, I don't see the Cowboys dropping that one, and I, there's really not a scenario. What would it be, the Rams-Eagles conference championship that would lead to them having a home game? So, you know, it, it's pretty unlikely. Uh, I think you could sense that with those guys too, Mike. Maybe you can uh, talk, speak to that too. I thought you could sense that frustration from Kelsey, not just about the loss, but kind of what it means overall in his career. I, I think, you know, talking to guys in the locker room, I think everybody's kind of in the, in the mode where they won't believe that Kelsey retires until he's like, you know, until it's week one and he's not suited up and in the locker room with them. But I, I mean, I certainly think that you could tell in, in his, with, with his uh, post-game interview that he was, maybe a little bit more frustrated even just about the fact that what it means for his future. Yeah, I agree with you, EJ. Um, Jason's been talking about retirement since they lost to the Saints in 2018 or 19 in that, that yeah. divisional round game where Alshon Jeffrey dropped the pass late in the game and you know they had a berth in the NFC Championship game at their fingertips. So I, I would be surprised. I don't know this. I haven't spoken to Jason about it. I have no inside intel on this. But he's just been talking about it for so long that I would yeah. be surprised if he's back. And Cox and, and, Cox and Graham. And, and yeah. Brandon, yeah, I, I do. Yeah. Mm. Boy, that's sure not the way any of us would want it to go out. Uh, EJ Smith, follow him on Twitter at EJSmith94. EJ, what's your dad's name? 
My dad's name is Ernest James Smith II, and I am Ernest Smith III. We are we are told, we have reliable sources, that your dad's an occasional listener to the show. Is he tuning in now? <laughs> I would hope so. I sent him a text like 15 minutes before, so I don't like to give him a lot of notice. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he's he's definitely a loyal, loyal WIP listener. I'm uh, sure Ms. Ms. if he is listening, he's going to be very excited that you gave him a shout-out. Mr. So Smith, that. you should be very proud of your son. He's a, he's a good young man, so there you go. And All a terrific, right. terrific reporter that. and writer, too. All right. Well, that's Thank you, guys. All Thank right. you. Hey, I, thanks I, for joining I appreciate us. you having me on a before shield. You know, save the best for first. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you down the road. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks, EJ. Care. There you go. Does a nice job. He does. He's a, he's a great kid. He really is. All right. And I can call him a kid because I'm way older than he is. He's born in 94. I, I got. I think I got, like, neckties that are as old Hey, as at him. least he's turning 30 this year, so that's yeah. something, I oh, guess. Yeah. That's, that's a landmark. Uh, Anthony in Maryland is with us. Hi, Anthony. Yeah, how you doing? All right. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I just have a take on Nick uh, Sirianni. I think, and I, and I think we did the same thing to Andy Reid back in the day. We thought that the league had figured him out. We figured uh, that he wasn't innovative enough. And, um, you know, the defenses just knew how to play him. And so he went on his way, and, you know, we saw what, he, what he's been able to do, right, in Kansas City. And I think Nick is going to be fine. So give him, give him another year. Maybe I agree with a lot of the callers saying we probably need a new defensive coordinator uh, because, you know, Patricia and Desai, they're both kind of soft, right? Like, even in their press conferences, they're hard to listen to because they're so apologetic and they're so please and thank you. I, I, I would prefer a guy that's a little bit more hard-nosed, you know, a little more intimidating, um, you know, kind of like a Schwartz. Uh, so I, think, <laughs> I understand. You want Jim Johnson back? Something like that. Yeah, you I know. know. Some, I somebody know. that's a little more intimidating because our our defense is playing soft. And yeah, I don't know that the coach's power. demeanor has a lot to do with that. Yeah, I, I'm not sure about that either, Anthony. I'm not sure it comes down to. And thank you so much for the call. I'm not sure it comes down to how the coach presents himself in press conferences. I think it's more a matter, as E.J. Smith said, of a philosophical change, yeah. right? They're playing soft because that's the scheme they prefer. It's not because of how they carry themselves when they answer questions from schlubs. Yeah, you could be John Wayne, and it's not going to make the defense any I'll better. I'll tell you, Pilgrim, I'm going to drop Hassan Reddick okay. into coverage. Joe Conklin's got to worry about his future <laughs> right there. Let me tell you. Hey, uh, somebody's got to pick up the slack. Joe hasn't been on the station as much anymore. Oh, uh, but when he is, it's golden. It I'm is. opening for Joe Conklin on uh, January 26th with Ray Dinger out ah. here. Going to do a little book signing out there in Westchester. Very nice. If I can find my email, I will tell you when and where because I would hope that people want to come to that. Here it is. Okay. We are uh no, that's another one. Oh. Nonetheless. But it's uh, in Westchester. Here it is. Here you go. Right. Here you go. Here you go. Friday, January 26th, the Madeline Wing Adler Theater at Westchester University, Joe Conklin and the City Rhythm Orchestra in a salute to Philly sports fans, which by the way is a great show that he does. Uh doors open at eight o'clock. Ray Dinger and I are going to do a Never little, uh, little uh, pre-show books. I don't know if I have any books to sell these days, but we're going to get out there and press the palms of the public. There you go. It sounds like it will be a terrific event. Yeah. And Joe is hilarious and as good an impressionist as I've ever heard Those in my Those shows life. are great. His new, the new thing he's got with the City Room Orchestra is really good. Uh, in terms of what he said about, you know, we decided Andy Reid didn't have anything left and look what he's got left. Andy had run his course here. It was 13 years here. Yeah. It was a great tenure. You know, you look back at it all fondly, but even good things have to end, and that 
the the year before that, remember he was four and eight, and mm-hmm. then he kind of recovered to eight and eight, and then the last year it just it, it was done. He had he needed to go somewhere else and kind of rejuvenate, which he has in Kansas City. I, I don't say the same thing about Nick. On the other hand, I will mention what we talked about earlier, which is my concern about Nick is this is he the next version of Ray Rhodes who came in and was coach of the year and like was ahead of everybody and then like talk about guys with fiery demeanors yeah Ray fired him up baby. oh my god he yeah he that's was what he was all about he was Martin Scorsese levels of graphicness yeah yes he up. was listen we used to cover those news conferences oh my goodness and my I was with Jody and my my job during the news conference was one finger one inch away from the button <laughs> And I would hit that dump button three or four times every news conference. Oh, God. Anyway, um, I hope Nick's not that, which is he has one act and they caught on to it, and now he doesn't have another. I'm not saying he is, but I can't tell you it's not a concern. No, and the other thing I would point out with respect to Andy and his time here, too, was that his quarterbacks after McNabb kept getting hurt. Michael Vick would play well, had that great 2010 season. They signed him to a big contract. He gets injured during the 2011 season. Kevin yeah. Cobb is supposed to be the starter. Oof. He suffers a concussion. Yeah. So I think it's less a matter of the league figuring Andy out as it was, as you said. He just kind of ran its course and the circumstances changed. I think the, the, the story is yet unwritten on Nick and what kind of coach he really is. Good way to say it. 215-592-9494. Coming up, what we're watching. Listen, i got a good show for you to check out. So you're going to want to listen, take notes. Follow me up on this. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. By the way, he's coming back for one more season. Great. Great. great, And that's it. And I think that's good. Tell everybody it's coming. End it on a high note. Mm -hmm. It's just so great. You you just uttered a great Larry David Seinfeld line there. End it on a high note. End it on a high note. I'm out. Anyway, it is what we're watching. And uh, why don't you go first? Because you saw... Something this week that I was actually looking forward to, but uh, maybe not so much now. Yeah, one of my five favorite stand-up comics is Dave Chappelle, and he has a new special out on Netflix called The Dreamer, in which he goes back to a famous theater in Washington, D.C. to do a stand-up. And I have to be honest, Glenn, it just wasn't funny to me. Um, I love Chappelle. I love the way he pushes boundaries and takes on sacred cows and is willing to make you think and tick you off and make you laugh. He is the 21st century iteration of Richard Pryor and Lenny Bruce and the social commentary Mm -hmm. slash stand-up comic. um, Which is tough to be these days. Really difficult to be. But I just didn't laugh Mm. much for the stand-up special. I just didn't. Um, I found this lately with a couple of comics. Uh, Sebastian Maniscalco, his most recent stand-up special on Netflix didn't make me laugh the way his earlier stuff did. Well, let me ask you a question. Because I read, that, you know, one of the things uh, in, with Chappelle's case is he has said stuff that have deeply offended people, and he's gotten in some trouble, and I don't know if he had to backtrack and so right. on. Do you get a sense that he or Maniscalco or anybody else is trying to tread too lightly? No. And you lose your edge? No. Uh, I, I don't get the sense that they've changed in terms of trying to be edgy at all. I just don't think their material is quite as good. And it's disappointing uh, because I think both of them in particular are hilarious. And 
I wish they were funnier. I just watched a half hour of it, 45 minutes, and was like, I'm not laughing You're very out. much. I'm, I'm not laughing very much. Oof. Okay. So, disappointing. Right. The Dreamer, oh, disappointing. All right. Uh, by the way, what we're watching is sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window's big winter sale through the month of January. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit goguida.com. You had a better experience with the show you're watching. Yeah, pretty correct? much. Pretty much. This is going to be a, uh, a bit of a mixed review, okay. leaning toward positive. And I'm watching a show called Murder at the End of the World on uh, FX and Hulu. Okay. Um, here's the premise. An eccentric tech millionaire, billionaire, excuse me, an eccentric tech billionaire. <laughs> mm, who could that be modeled after? Yeah, it's his, the character's <laughs> name is Telon Tusk. Yeah. <laughs> Invites uh, a dozen or so world-class entrepreneurs, scientists, artists, an astronaut to a futuristic hotel he built in rem- remotest Iceland for a confab designed to uh, figure out the future of the world. Okay. Basically, and um, some climate, how to deal with climate, what what after climate change. Okay. And they hardly settle into their rooms when, guess what? One gets murdered. Ah. Aha. Who did it? Why'd they do it? Who's going to get killed next? Here we go. It's, it's, I'm thinking I'm watching an Agatha Christie spinoff, mm-hmm. right? Uh, kind of darker, futuristic. Did you watch Glass Onion? No, but okay. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. It was good. I really like Glass Onion, Knives Out. If you watched that last year, I'm thinking, okay, that's where we're going. Uh, I'm in. I love a good whodunit. I love a murder mystery. This is this is a decent whodunit. Clive Owen stars. Yeah, terrific. Yes. He's the tech magnate. He's he is in fact less likable and cuddly than Elon Musk. Wow. Yes. That's hard to do. <laughs> it's, it's acting. Uh, and Emma Corrin. If you if you watch the last two seasons of The Crown, did you watch The Crown? No, my okay. wife has watched The Crown. Okay. I have not. Um, she was uh, Princess Diana on The Crown. Oh, okay. 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 And she's a young computer hacker, true crime author uh, who gets thrust in the position of being the detective here as people around her start dropping left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what works. She's good. Um, all full of brooding and, mm-hmm. you know, bravado while everybody around underrates her because, well, she's a woman and she's young. Right. So nobody takes her seriously. Uh, and you get invested early in trying to figure out who the killer is among all these people and, and why it's going on. Um, there's an interesting subplot about artificial intelligence and whether it's going to save the world or destroy it. It's very cyber noir. Okay. Very moody. Mm-hmm. A lot of that going on. Uh, lots of surveillance features built into this retreat's AI and security, which, of course, also provides a lot of clues mm-hmm. in the developing case. Uh, if you like the color white, it's great. <laughs> Are you talking about the the setting and the scenes or the cast? <laughs> no, the cast is mixed. Okay. The cast is mixed. Um, but there's uh, this mammoth storm hits the re- engulfs like remotest Iceland, so ah, okay. everything is white, and all the stylized design in the hotel is just stark, gotcha, white and silver, and so it's got a lot of that. Here's what doesn't work. I think it's too chatty. Um, ah. There's a backstory about a history between our lead heroine and one of the victims, which could have been really deeply condensed, shortened. Uh, and the whole thing feels a little bit too bloated. Mm. Uh, it goes on way too long. There are seven episodes, and I think they could have done it in four. And I think uh, that's one of the things I find a lot in streaming TV. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. Just it's bloated is your word. Yeah. They 
stretch a series out to eight, nine, ten episodes where tighter would be better. Yeah. Get it done in four Could have done it with this. Yeah. Absolutely could have done it. Um, but overall, I liked it. I would say I give it a, a 6.5 out of 10. Okay. Okay? It's neatly stylized. It's visually fun. You get invested in wanting to see who's going to die next and who ultimately mm-hmm. is going to be the killer. Clive Owen is is good. He's a great. He's a he can play nasty. Yeah, he oh, can be yeah. he can be a bully. If if you haven't already seen it, it's been out close to twenty years now. He got nominated for an Academy Award for a film called Closer, in which pretty much the entire yeah. cast is him, Jude Law, Julia Roberts, and Natalie Portman, and he is terrific in that movie. Yeah. Great in it. it, it yeah. Um, Emma Corrin is good. The the Princess Diana lady, she's good. Mm-hmm. The others, to be honest, they're, there's there's really not a lot of character development. There's a lot of people and there's a lot of hours, but they don't really get you too much invested in mm-hmm. any. Like, the one dies like, nah, I didn't like him anyway. There you go. <laughs> I don't care. And and the dialogue gets a little too self-serious. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's a bit full of itself. This is my bottom line thought. There is so much great TV on these days, and I'm going to go back to a couple weeks ago. Everybody should watch Fargo Season 5 on FX Hulu. It is popping up more and more. Are you in? I'm not in yet, but I'm going to start watching because a number of people both in person and on my social media feeds have been talking about how unbelievably great John Hamm is at playing this evil sheriff. Oh, yeah. And so I'm in. I'm, I got to start. He's watching a bad it. guy. And uh, what's her name? Who played Keeley in Ted Lasso? Juno Temple. Juno Temple is great okay. in that. And and you have to. You don't have to have seen any of the previous seasons of Fargo. It's an entirely independent story. Okay. It's just got. It's the name of the franchise. Fargo is the best thing I'm watching right now. Okay. I got a couple episodes to go. This is good. It's good. If you got the time, it's good. It's possible the Eagles will give you all all the time, time we need, need <laughs> next week. If you if if. If things all break to hell next week, and it's like, what am I going to do now? You could do worse than watch A Murder at the End of the World on FX Hulu, 6.5 out of 10. I am still watching on Apple TV with my sons, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with Kurt Russell. <laughs> yeah, and you like the, it, right? It's the Godzilla series. Yeah. It's, I think my neighbor likes it. It's very good, but it could be better. It's trying a little too hard to be serious and still embrace the goofiness and campiness mm. and it has a tough time at times walking that line okay well but we're still see. in okay. we're still in all right so uh mike in center city wants to talk about nick Sirianni. hello mike hey guys how are you Good. hi mike uh you know look i think i'm i'm all for making quick decisions when they make sense like i was the first of my friend group to be like we need to let go of wentz and keep Foles after we won the super bowl like there are certain things that make sense, but one thing that does not make sense in this moment, I, I don't think, is to be talking about the firing Sirianni. And I get it. It's Philadelphia. I, I get why we have to talk about it, but I, we can't seriously consider that yet. I mean, we went to the Super Bowl last year. There's ups and downs in the life of a coach, uh, you know, a coach's career. And uh, I think both Hurts and Sirianni, we owe it to them to give them a little bit of time to figure this out. And I still think we could make a run here. You know, I do. I believe that we could still make a run. I'm pretty much with you. I mean, you know, unless complete and utter disaster over the course of the next two games uh, and players saying at the end of the year, as a previous caller suggested, the coaches lost the team, you know, barring that, which I give about a, you know, 1% chance. Yeah, I, I agree with you. He gets the opportunity to come back another year and hopefully – New coordinators, some changes in personnel, they yeah. turn it around. I would not 
If I were running the team, Mike, I would not consider firing Nick Sirianni. My only uh, kind of contribution to this discussion is it doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what the fans think. It doesn't matter with what Glenn thinks. No offense to Glenn. It matters what Jeffrey Lurie thinks. And if Jeffrey Lurie perceives that his franchise quarterback is not getting better, he's not going to replace the franchise quarterback. He's going to replace the head coach. Does that mean it happens, you know, two weeks from now? No, it probably doesn't. Does it mean Nick Sirianni ought to be paying attention to getting Jalen Hurts to be the very best version of Jalen Hurts he can? Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I think that. Do you guys think we can make a run, though? Do you, are you, do you, it seems like everyone thinks because we've hit this major rut that the season's definitely over just because the road doesn't go through Philly. Most, you know, definitely won't go through Philly. Wow. Like, I'll give you a percent mean, chance. I don't, I don't know if we're done. All right, so is your question chance to get back to the Super Bowl, win a playoff game? What's your question? I mean, would you say that this – I guess because we went to the Super Bowl last year, the season's a failure if we don't get back there. But no, I, I, would I wouldn't say that. I would somewhat of a success if we get to the NFC Championship, and I think we still could get there. I give them a – got to win two games to get the NFC Championship. Yes. I give them a 15% chance. I just think, Mike – Thanks, Mike. Thank you for the call. I think with the way the defense is playing right now, hoping for a Baltimore Ravens in 2012 kind of run where you roll through your conference from the wild card game out, and not only that, you end the regular season playing poorly, is asking just too much of this team. Um, On a scale of 1 to 100, mm -hmm. what chance do you give them to get to the NFC? He he said, and I kind of agree, if they get to the NFC title game and don't get blown out. Mm -hmm. Oh, I would consider it a successful season. Okay, what chance do you give them to do that? 15 to 20. Yeah, yeah, we're in the twenty percent chance. We're in the same leaky boat. Yeah, exactly. It just—I don't see them stopping. Assume for a minute that they beat the Bucks or the Saints or the Falcons, whoever they play in the wild card round. Do you see this defense stopping the 49ers or Cowboys enough to allow the offense to score oh, as much as it would take to win that game? Can I just tell you something? Losing to the in the playoffs to the Cowboys is, would be horrible. I really don't want that. Losing the playoffs to the 49ers after them last year. We would have beat you if we had a quarterback. Yeah. And plus, I got a yappy nephew in <laughs> San Francisco. I got, I, got, like, I got a yappy brother-in-law in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I got a yappy nephew in San Francisco. And I really don't want to have to deal with them for the rest. I'm, when, when I win, I'm gracious and charming to them. <laughs> the, um, I don't think they'll extend Might be easier if they just lose in Tampa, it sounds like, based on that. I don't have any relatives in Tampa. I know that's what I'm saying. Yeah. If they're going to lose, just get it over with. Yeah, there, there's really not certain truth. There's only one "quote unquote" good option to happen here, right? Like I agree with you. I think from a fan standpoint, it would be awful to lose to the Cowboys. Oh, have to hear from those idiots again. Well, not only that, Glenn, it would be the first time the Cowboys would have gotten back to the yeah. NFC Championship game in nearly 30 years, right. don't want and them you to would have been the stepping yeah. stone. Not on my back, right? I get the 49ers, you don't want to lose to that team because they've been talking so much smack and and have backed it up against you. Uh, The only saving grace, quote-unquote, would be if the Eagles somehow lost to the Lions in the playoffs because the Lions have been so bad for so long and are such a downtrodden franchise that you could get a little bit behind the underdog idea. I mean, I could live with it. Let me put it this way. It would be be less painful than the other two tortures. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying people would be happy that the Lions were advancing in the playoffs and the Eagles weren't. Yeah, no, 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 no. But it would it's... take some of the starch out of it. All right, I'm done with that conversation. Okay, that's not. <laughs> not didn't enjoy those few moments. No, at all. not at all.
215-592-9494. Coming up at noon, we're going to check in with Shiel Kapadia, our pal from theringer.com. But we're looking forward to talking to you as well. Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now, 94 WIP. And uh, no, I don't have a read here, do I? I well, love that call, Glenn. I don't know what Mike Quick's talking about. I think Mike Quick and Merrill Reese speak for all of us. It was a disastrous call at the time, not only because on third and 20 to call a bubble screen yeah. to Kenneth Gainwell was ridiculous at that point of the game. But in addition, as you heard Mike say at the end, Devontae Smith goes down. He's got a sprained ankle. The fans let it be known of their displeasure. And I will confess to Dr. Mark Pollard, who joins us now, uh, as our Cooper Doctor guest of the week. Doc, I was booing as well. I hope that uh, perhaps you were doing the same from the comfort of your couch. I was doing it internally. There you go. It's good <laughs> enough. I'll take it. You're not a demonstrative man. I can live with that. Uh, the news is that Devontae Smith has a sprained, a lower ankle sprain as opposed to an upper ankle sprain, uh, which we, of course, believe to be good news. Can you explain why that should put him out for less of an per- extended period of time? Sure. Uh, and I think the distinctions between uh, like a high ankle sprain. High and ankle. ankle. I said upper, sprain. I meant yeah. high. Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, um, you know, the low ankle sprain, which is what they say uh, uh, Devontae Smith has, involves uh, some stretching or damage to the ligaments that are on the outside of the ankle. Um, it typically happens when your foot rolls internally. Uh, the way most of us sprain our ankles when we sprain them. You end up with pain on the outside of the ankles, maybe some swelling. And depending on the severity, usually they they will heal up fairly quickly if if they're mild. You know, a matter of, you know, days, weeks maybe on the outside. Whereas the high ankle sprain involves uh, an injury where the foot is kind of twisted externally. Um if you remember TO's injury, I think from the um, uh, when he injured his ankle when he was with mm-hmm, the Eagles, mm-hmm. um, you know, he ended up getting a high ankle sprain plus where he had the fracture as well. But essentially the foot rotates out and it injures the ligaments that are on the inside of the ankle and also the uh, ligaments that are between the two bones of the lower leg, uh, the tibia and the fibulas. And so that represents a more severe injury that takes a longer time to heal, obviously. And sometimes you know, surgery is recommended for those injuries. Doctor, Devontae Smith is not, by any standard, even the standards of normal human beings, a big man. And he might be 180 pounds, 185 pounds soaking wet. And he is often placed in a position in the Eagles offense where he's blocking on these screen passes and larger players. This might sound simplistic, but does that put him at greater risk for injury in any regard, that he's being... That a, that a guy of his stature is being asked to block as often as he is. Um, yeah, theoretically, uh, that could because if he's uh, constantly in a position where he's trying to, you know, force somebody who's weighs more than him has more mass and may, might be stronger than him, then uh, he, you know, that kind of impact is the kind of thing that is uh, not. Uh, unlikely to cause some kind of injury. Uh, you know, the, as far as ankle sprain type injuries, that's a little bit more difficult of a, a connection to make, in, unless he's really getting thrown around and you know landing awkwardly on some of these uh, some of these plays. But I would think you know more you know concussion and 
contusion, you know, shoulder injuries and rib injuries, even in some of these impacts that uh, might be there. But, you know, it's difficult to quantify what the what the risk would be. Can I tell you that my medical opinion is that it was an entirely stupid play to have a 140-pound guy blocking on that? But, Doc, that's only my medical opinion. <laughs> well, thank you for that. You got it. <laughs> Make sure you write that down. I don't think Dr. Pollard <laughs> thinks much of it, Glenn. I don't, think, I don't think Dr. Pollard takes it that seriously, <laughs> nor should he. But nonetheless, Doc, we uh, we hope that you uh, you have a, a fine weekend and uh, enjoy the rest of it. And as we look out the window and see two snowflakes, we hope that you don't get snowed in. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, right. Same to you. All right. There you right. go. Thanks, Dr. Right. Pollard. I don't think he knew I was goofing around there. No, I don't think so. <laughs> He's, but uh, that is my opinion. I, How I, do you have a guy like that blocking on a play like that? The element of surprise, Glenn. Yeah. And yeah, I think say, that's what A.J. Smith was thinking to himself. A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown yeah. and E.J. Smith. Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think you're right. And, you know, you saw a lot of uh, breakdowns of that play. I even saw one where I think it was Emmanuel Acho on Fox Sports pointed out that the Eagles had run that screen pass successfully against the 49ers earlier this season, but do you really want, is that really the play you want in that situation? And I mean, you can find an instance of virtually any play working in any situation. Don't you want to go with something that has a higher percentage chance yes. of actually succeeding? Yeah. I, and I heard their three pronged defense of it, of the, they got to get in field goal position. And I, I don't remember what the other, Two stupid things they said were. No, but everybody in the stadium, everybody watching at home knew that if they kicked the field goal there, they're going to lose the game because their defense had shown no indication or ability right. other than the one mistake that Kyler Murray and his receiver made that ended up being the City Brown interception. The Cardinals stopped themselves. The Eagles showed no inclination or ability to stop the Cardinals at all in that game. Did you hear Gannon's explanation for the onside kick? It was brilliant. It, it was is he really that smart? Yeah. Go ahead. Say what it was. Yeah. I mean, basically, he said we were willing to do the onside kick, and the reporter was like, well, obviously, it didn't work. And he cuts him off and goes, no, it did work. Like, we wanted to give them a short field, guarantee that our guy, Kyler Murray, gets the ball back. We'll go down and win the game. It's exactly how it played out. Yeah. Yep. Now, it was brilliant. Uh. And I was in the press box wondering why he did it initially. And then it occurred to me You and everybody he, else, yeah. Right. But then it occurred to me why he had done it. The Eagles only had 30 yards to work with. It couldn't have worked out better. They held them to a field goal. The Eagles kicked the ball back. The Cardinals scored their touchdown uh, to take the lead with 30 seconds so, left. Sounds like a guy not confident in the opposing team's defense to slow down his quarterback. Why would he have been? I can't listen to more Jonathan Gannon praise. I just can't. I, I, I have nothing with which I can disagree, nor do I want to hear any of it. So, nor hey, He outcoached his friend and uh, he did. Oh, you know, he pants former him. employer, Nick he, Sirianni. He did more than outcoach him. Yeah. He, he did. He pantsed him. All yep. right. Coming up, uh, we will take your calls at 215-592-9494. We will uh, talk to uh, Sheila Kapadia of The Ringer, which we're looking forward to. And uh, just a quick weather report, Mike. My back is to the window. You're looking out. What do you see? I see tiny little flakes of snow oh my. dancing in the breeze. There you go. The big story on Action News tonight. This is... We're not getting much more than this, right? This is we're going to get like this for a couple hours. We this think? for a couple hours and then rain, I think. Okay. So, uh, I think hey, we're... it doesn't take much to set this entire region into a full-fledged weather panic. Right, and then after us today, it is uh, Elliot and James from the casino, right up in. Uh, uh, they Buc will be here. Why are they coming here? 
I guess the weather has canceled the remote. That's the word I've been given. No. Uh, I'm just passing along what I've been told. Is that their call, station call, casino? I, I don't know whose call it was, but I know that they're doing the show from here. I hope those boys have got their snow tires on and their mucklucks and can handle this rough patch of weather we're having up here in northern Alaska. Wow. Say, says the Buffalo native. There. Yeah, come on. Former Boston I'm resident. watching a show about Iceland. I'm tough. Uh, this is true. There you go. 215 are strong against cold. Uh, Mike Sielski, Glenn Mack now. 94 WIP. We're just up Ugh. the entire show. <laughs> no, uh, that's it. It's just one it's great highlight one. after yeah, another. Let it go. Let You're it an go. Eagles fan. Let it go. That's it. no more. No more. I'm doing tomorrow with Jody. I'm not. I'm not I can't play any more of those tomorrow. Salt on. The yeah, it wound. is. I don't want to do that. Anyway, um, Shiel Kapadia is nice enough to join us. He writes and creates podcasts for the Ringer. Does a great job and uh, focuses a lot on the Eagles. Shiel, thanks for being our guest today. Um, what? What's up, guys? How you doing? We're good. You wrote earlier this week, and I don't disagree with you, this will be the game you remember when you think about the 2023 Eagles on a team melting down a historically bad defensive performance, a coach who doesn't seem to have answers, and what's next? So I guess my question is, what's next? Well, like, that's how I, that's hey, Sheila, I, I got I to ask you a favor. You sound like you're, like, far away. I don't know if you're on a, um, a speaker or whatever, but could you could you get a little closer or whatever? Yeah, give, give me one sound. Yeah, okay. We need better sound to yeah. hear. All of your brilliant, salient points is what we got to do here. So, Okay, how do I sound? Much that's, better. That's great, Sheila. Thanks. Much better. There you go. Yeah, so I, I, I think that is the most likely scenario, that this team does not make a deep playoff run and that – we kind of face this tumultuous offseason and five, six, you know how it goes with Eagles fans. You have a random conversation about a team uh, from eight years ago and something comes up. Oh, yeah, that, you know, and I think it'll be thought of. Hey, that was the year they really had it. They started 10 and 1. They had a chance to still, you know, get out of it and, and win the NFC East and make a run in the playoffs. And then Kyler Murray and Jonathan Gannon and a team that was picking in the top five came into your house. When you were up 21-6 at halftime and they scored touchdowns on their last four drives and you lost it there. So uh, there's still time. We, we all know sports are unpredictable. And maybe two weeks from now we're talking about something different. But kind of after that game when I was thinking about it, that's really what it felt like to me. Sheil, I listened to your podcast in the immediate aftermath of the Eagles' demotion of Sean Desai and promotion of Matt Patricia. And – to put it mildly, you are not enthusiastic about the Eagles' defenses, the prospect of the Eagles' defense improving under Matt Patricia. What is your What are your thoughts on Patricia as a defensive coordinator? I, I mean, listen, Matt, anytime anybody has given Matt Patricia more responsibility in the last, like, five to ten years, that has not been a good idea. And I'm not trying to cry. I don't know the guy personally. I'm not trying to crush him. I believe people can uh, change and improve and evolve and all those things. But uh, I mean, seriously, like you look at what he did. Uh, he goes to Detroit as a head coach and he has all kinds of clashes with players. And they have one of the worst defenses in the NFL for three years. Then he goes to new England. And if he was this great defensive mastermind, don't you think Bill Belichick would have been like, okay, let's put him on that side of the ball to help the defense. Belichick hands him the offense. That's a complete disaster. Has to move on from him. And then you bring him in. And, you, you know, it, it really is an indictment to me. Like, what is the organization thinking when you face a little turmoil, a little adversity, 
after a 10-1 and start, and the big move you make is to give Matt Patricia more responsibility. And so uh, that's why I was so down on it. It was just like the likelihood of this solving what you perceive to be your problems is so, so low. And, you know, I think we've seen that in the last three weeks. I'm not telling you Sean Desai did a bang-up job and the defense was playing great. But, man, if you watch this defense over the last three weeks, and specifically last week, it's not just that they're getting beat. These guys can't line up correctly. Like, yeah. you know, I, I like to watch the, you know, the coaches and they're running around, they're scrambling. They don't know where they're supposed to be. The ball snapped and all of a sudden you're getting lit up by a Cardinals offense again that is not very good. So, yeah, that, that's why I felt that way about Matt Patricia and really my opinion hasn't changed much. So, very strong statement. Uh, well said. So, if Sean Desai wasn't the problem or wasn't the primary problem, is the prob- was, has the problem all along been personnel on defense and where does that fall? Yeah, I think, uh, listen, I think there is an argument, certainly a valid one, that the coaching could have been better with Sean Desai and it can be better with Matt Patricia. You know, I think if you gave this defensive personnel to like a a very good defensive coordinator, whoever you you respect or like around the league, I'm not telling you they would be great. I don't think they'd be top 10 by any measure, but could they be in kind of that 15 to 20 range where you're saying, hey, you know what? They're not great, but they're beating up on bad teams. They're keeping up, keeping us in in these games where the offense can do some damage. Uh, So I do think coaching is part of the issue. And then, yeah, absolutely personnel is an issue. I mean, the linebacker situation is a disaster. Uh, The cornerback situation, you came into this year with two older cornerbacks, 30 or older, where we've just seen over and over again in the NFL, when those guys fall off, it happens really quickly. And I think you've seen that uh, quite a bit with James Bradbury. And then really the biggest mystery to me on the team is the pass rush. You know, if you look at it, their entire defensive line is healthy on the field. Like this isn't a situation where they've gotten these, you know, horrible injuries and you say, all right, that explains it. Like their entire investment in this defensive line from draft picks to uh, salaries, to all the things we talk about, how they like to invest in the defensive line. It has not paid off at, at all. I mean, they cannot get to the quarterback and they cannot stop the run. And so when that's your philosophy, invest everything in the line and then the line underperforms it makes everything else a lot harder. So I think it's some combination of all those things. Do they need a change in scheme and philosophy, Shield? Are you still buying in the Vic Fangio limit big plays, thinking that the Eagles uh, seem to want to implement? Yeah, you know, I almost think that if there's a chance for them to turn it around here down the stretch or just give themselves a chance, I think they have to play a little more high-risk, high-reward style of defense because I don't think they're good enough, whether from a coaching perspective or a personnel perspective, to go out there and play that way, where they say, hey, we'll limit big plays, we'll make the offense work for it, Uh, we'll get some three and outs here. Like, we've just seen that over and over again. So whether that means, you know, uh, different kinds of coverages, different kinds of disguises, different kinds of blitzes, all those things. And granted, that stuff's hard to implement when you haven't been doing it all season long. So all of a sudden now in week 18, start doing it. But if, if you can push some of those buttons and add a little bit more uh, unpredictability and give offenses, um, you know, a little more to think about. And you know what? It might lead to you giving up 40, 50 points. I'm not saying it's going to work, but I think if you want to give yourself a chance to create some of those negative plays, those turnovers, those sacks, I, I do think kind of embracing a little bit more high-variant style of defense might be their only option. Shiel Kapati is our guest. Follow him on Twitter at Shiel, S-H-E-I-L, Kapati, K-A-B. K-A-P-A-D-I-A. Well, you've never gone anywhere in your life without having to spell your name, have you? 
Hey, listen, you you do a good job every time, Glenn. <laughs> if there's one thing that Glenn Mack now can do, Sheil, it's spell. I can spell. You can read, yeah. I can spell. Is there anything that they can do or show tomorrow that would give people a little bit more a sense of optimism? Tomorrow, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't really think so. I mean, yeah. you're, it's, it's week 18. It's the Giants. I don't even know if the starters are going to play the whole time. So if you want a sense of optimism, here it is, Glenn. I think you look at it offensively. They have all 11 starters should be healthy for that wild card round and the playoffs um, against the Bucks or whoever they play. I mean, look around the NFL. There's almost no team in the NFL that can say that. And so they're going to have a talent advantage with their offense against the opposing defense in pretty much any game they play in the playoffs. Now, is that going to be enough? I don't know, but they can score, you know, if things go go well for them, they can put up 30 on almost any defense in the NFL. I, I do believe that. And so uh, I think if we're talking about in a few weeks, hey, they turned their season around. I can't believe where this run come from. I think we're going to be talking about the offense, Jalen Hurts, A.J., but all the stars on offense not have to show up in those games when they're one-on-ones. You still have the offensive line. I think that's really the, the biggest source of optimism if you're an Eagles fan. Sheil, if you had to make one change to the offense, and I gave you the choice between running the ball, committing to running the ball more frequently and better, or throwing the ball more to A.J. Brown, getting him more involved, going to him more than once in the second half of a game, that sort of thing, which path are you choosing? Yeah, you know, I I think I would probably choose the the second one, and it's not just going to him more. I think it's going to him in different ways, and it's not just – I mean, a lot of the stuff you see offenses do around the NFL, whether it's using more motion or different types of play action, like other offenses are doing a better job scheming things up, making life easier for their quarterbacks, and putting their playmakers in positions to make plays uh, at a higher rate than the Eagles do. And so um, the run game's important. There's no doubt about it, you know, but I, I looked at last week and it's like they were moving the football well. I didn't think the run game was the issue for them. Now it has been at, at various times this season, but they're going to have an advantage with those playmakers in the passing game again in, in a lot of these matchups. And so uh, I think finding ways, again, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, make life easier for your quarterback. Jalen Hurts attempts so many difficult throws uh, and, and the statistics back this up compared to other quarterbacks in the NFL that I do think they can make his life easier, make life for those playmakers easier, and make life for opposing defenses uh, harder, which is really what this is going to come down to uh, starting in that wild card round. Shil, what did you think of the whole A.J. Brown uh, situation this week, how he handled it, and what, what the message is out of this thing? Yeah, I think it was important for somebody to kind of come out and not just like a Kelsey or a Graham or, you know, I, I was in the locker room when those guys were backing Chip Kelly and Doug Peterson, like they're going to be, um, you know, good for the organization. But to have kind of a newer player who people thought, man, is this guy happy or not for him to come out and really, you know, go to back bat for Nick Sirianni at this point in the season. Uh, I thought that showed a lot of leadership. I thought that was important for the coach, for the organization, for the whole, you know, kind of temperature of the locker room. Now, Having said that, I do think we in the media probably overrate that a little bit. You know, A.J. Brown going to bat for Nick Sirianni is not going to help Matt Patricia when it's uh, third and seven um, in the wild card round. <laughs> so they still have issues that they need to work out. But uh, I think it was a step in the right direction. You know, I, I think the players, they probably realize, all right, this hasn't gone the way we want it to go. But, like, all is not lost. We're still going to be in the playoffs. 
We're still probably going to be favored in the first round. Uh, and then after that, who knows? We've seen wild things happen in the postseason. So uh, I thought it was a good thing for it to happen. But at the same time, I'm, I'm not going to overrate it and say, you know, it saved the Eagle season or anything yeah. like that. Sheil, let's broaden our focus here for this question. For a long time, you could say that the top three teams in the NFC were the 49ers, the Eagles, and the Cowboys. I think the Lions have moved ahead of the Eagles in that regard, both in the standings and in perception. If you had to pick a team to come out of the NFC and make it to the Super Bowl right now, who's your choice? I've got the Niners as still pretty, you know, very heavy favorites, uh, you know, just starting with the fact that they get the bye and the home field advantage, but not even just that. I mean, I, I think they're the, they're the best team. They had a hiccup against the Ravens. That, that happened, but I think if you look at overall – the body of work, the teams they've beaten, they blew out uh, the Eagles. They blew out the Cowboys. Uh, you know, so, so they've beaten up on some teams that we look at it as at least playoff caliber teams. And so uh, the road through the NFC, I think, is going to go through San Francisco. It doesn't mean uh, they're an absolute lock, and I would be shocked if, if anyone else did it. But, you know, as long as they have kind of their best players healthy, I think just offensively, I think I don't see a defense in the NFC that's going to have an answer for that offense. So unless they turn the football over, uh, unless your offense scores a bunch against them, unless you have an edge on special teams, um, I think they're going to be pretty big favorites against most of the teams they face. And are we going to get a San Francisco-Baltimore Super Bowl rematch? I think so. That would be my pick right now. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I don't like to go chalk, but if you look at it kind of historically – these are not just like good teams who, you know, sort of snuck their way into the one seed. Like they, their resumes are very, very strong. And what I like about both of them, and specifically Baltimore, is how they can win in so many different ways. I mean, if they need to win with Lamar Jackson putting the team on his back, they can do that. Defensively, top three defense. Special teams, great, well coached. And so um, I think if I had to pick it right now, yeah, that, that would be my pick. Again, not, not, I don't like going chalk, but uh, I do think those are legitimately two uh, excellent teams uh, who both have a great chance to get there. Don't be sleeping on those Buffalo Bills, big guy. That's all I'm telling you. I agree. I, I've, I, I said a month ago, Glenn, that sometimes when those droughts are broken, like the Red Sox in you know, 2004 and the Eagles in 2017, it happens in a real weird way, a real weird season where nobody sees it coming. And so the Bills have, you know, have never gotten uh, through the finish line. And I haven't loved how they've played the last two weeks, but their A game, in my opinion, is as good as any team in the NFL. So I, I think they can compete with those big boys. So uh, I'm with you there. But yeah. but who knows? They could be the two seed or they could be out of the playoffs. I know. That yeah. game tomorrow, they're playing Miami That's in a Miami. Huge game. Miami's in the playoffs. If the Bills win, they win the division. As Shield says, the two seed, if the Bills lose, they're out. Having been a Buffalo Bills fan since I was seven years old, certainly the second possibility looms large. But it's a big game. But, and, Sheila, you can speak to this. If the Dolphins lose that game, they're going to go into the playoffs with a whole lot of people wondering if they can make any kind of run or do any damage uh, with the big boys in that conference. Yeah, they, they would have to actually go to Kansas City, I believe, if they lose that game in the first round. And for as fun as the Dolphins have been, this season and their offense and, you know, Mike McDaniel, I think they've got one win over a playoff team all season long. So like when they face the the good teams in the NFL, Eagles got them, uh, Bills got them, a couple other teams got them. They have, they're not battle tested. They have not won those games. And so, yeah, I think they're an interesting team to watch not only this weekend, but in the postseason. there's no doubt about it. All right. Always good stuff. Uh, follow him on Twitter at shield Capadia, read his stuff in the ringer, listen to his podcast, very talented guy. Always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. 
All right, good talking to you guys. Take care. Uh, Thanks, Shield. There you go. Always smart stuff. Always smart stuff. If I can't have the Eagles, then at least give me the Bills this year. Yeah. Hey, I think Shield is 100% right about that team. I think Josh Allen, as squirrely as he can be at times, man, when he is on and playing well, Shield's right. That team can beat anybody. Yeah, here's what I think. Tomorrow he throws for 365 yards and four touchdowns, runs for one, throws for three, or he throws three interceptions yeah. and they die. There's, he, there's not going to be what, any what's in the between. What's uh, the old story? Like, um, when he's good, he's very good, and when he's bad, he's hard. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Josh Allen. That's it. There you go. There you go. You got an updated weather report here? Uh, I'm still seeing just flurries. It looks lovely, actually. There you it's go. A little, a little cloudy, a little snow. It uh, doesn't look like it's I build it's a snowman bad. out of this yet? Not yet. No. Not yet. Okay. Just checking. Will I be able to drive home? I think you'll be okay. All right. Will Elliot and James be able to survive the... That I don't know. You know, I mean, see a lot of snowflakes out there, and we're about to see two more, I think. (laughs) Credit to? I'm kidding. Credit credit to Dan Wilson. That was his line. That was a great one. That was a great line. Can't can't take credit for that. Uh, Tim in Glenside is with us. Hey, Tim, is it snowing up in Glenside? Oh, absolutely it is. There you go. All right. Well, Hey, how's the hamstring, Glenn, by the way? Uh, Thank you for asking. It's 90% better. Um, I injured my hamstring literally on stage. Tim was there that night, Glenn. Oh, Tim was there that night. He was. Oh, okay. He and I spent 10 minutes talking in intermission. Oh, okay. Well, uh, thank you for being there. Yes, I, I literally injured my hamstring bowing. Which yeah. is which is as bad as anything can get, but it's it's about ninety percent better. I appreciate it. stretching it out all the time. Well, as a former coach, we never ask players to play injured; we ask them to play hurt. So my yeah. respect level for you. Is <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, I did. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah. Um, you guys have followed the NFL for a long time. What I find very interesting is it has has the general managers now become, in essence, the coaches in regards to they pick the coaches meaning the coordinators you know um we all know that you know doug peterson was essence ran out of town because he declined to fire his offensive coordinator and i would imagine nick sirianni was was chosen because um he was told by the powers to be that you know that howie's influence and even jeffrey Lurie's influence on the coordinators on who the coordinators will be will probably be there their decision, not his. Do you agree with that? Well, I don't think it's as total as you're suggesting, Tim, but there's no denying that generally throughout the NFL and certainly with the Eagles, that general managers and or owners uh, exercise their influence. Let's put it that way. Uh, You're right about what happened with Doug, and it didn't help Doug that the franchise quarterback regressed as badly as he did. It wasn't as if Doug could even make the argument that, hey, you know, you should let me pick my coaches because Carson Wentz is thriving under our tutelage. Carson Wentz was getting worse, and so it didn't help Doug's argument at all. Uh, but I think what you're saying and suggesting, there's a large degree of truth to that. And it's not just with the Eagles. You know, remember, there's a reason Tom Brady got three extra years in New England, and it wasn't because Bill Belichick wanted to keep him. It was because Robert Kraft did. Now, what you just said, Mike, was, I mean, there's no question that Jalen Hurts and the offense has digressed. So are we going to be seeing a new offensive coordinator next year definitively, do you think? I I don't think it's definitive that they'll have a new coordinator. I think it's possible. 
Uh, I think it's possible. And I think, to be very honest, Tim, I think a lot of it depends on what happens tomorrow against the Giants and in this postseason. I mean, I, th- I think if you just look at the offensive coordinator, I think he's a, in, a little bit in a, over his head. Um, I don't think he has the experience, the resume um, right now uh, to be, you know, a quality offensive coordinator to lead the Eagles to the places that they should be going. Well, to. I mean, I'll say this. Tim, thanks, and Tim. And thanks, thanks so for, for the call. And thanks yeah. for coming to the show. Always great to hear from Tim. Um I will say this: Shane Steichen didn't exactly have an extensive resume either. As an no, you hire young coordinators. I, yeah, I, I, that, that's okay. You know what may end up in a weird way helping them? They're going to have to replace the defensive coordinator. Do they want to replace both in the again, same offseason? Right, again. they did it last year. They replaced them both. Clearly, that's created a lot of turmoil. Mm-hmm. You know, you can make an argument. Look, we think he he did he did well. He's got to learn more. He's got another season. Uh, I would even say, although that backfired this year when they brought in Patricia, but bringing in some senior guy who kind of knows the league, who can kind of help him out, is not a bad idea. Senior advisor, although as I'm I'm arguing against myself, because then he's looking over his shoulder, or at least the perception is. Maybe. I will say this too, Glenn. Remember the discussion we were having at the beginning of last season when Hertz got off to that great start and was playing so well. One of the reasons that were given for why he was playing so well was that it was the first time since high school that he'd had the same play caller for two yeah, consecutive that's seasons. Right, that's it right. wasn't just that Shane Steichen was a really good play caller and orchestrator of the offense. It was that he was in his second season working with Jalen Hurts. Yeah. So that's that's a point in Brian Johnson's favor it is, it is. Uh, to keep him around. Yeah, good point. Yeah, okay. I would vote he's probably, unless there is impending disaster. Mm-hmm. And the offense wasn't really the problem last week. No, it wasn't. That, that wasn't it. It wasn't. They moved the ball everywhere. I mean, look, th- nobody liked the play calling uh, in that late possession after the onside kick. Uh, but again, as Tim pointed out, Brian Johnson's in his first year as an NFL play caller. There's room for improvement there, one would think. 215-592-9494. We are looking forward to talking to you up until 1 o'clock when those boys come in from the winter storm. <laughs> We're really giving them the business no, about this winter I'm, storm. I'm speaking, you know, I'm I'm being sympathetic to their plight of having to be on the road during this, you know, natural federal disaster that it, we're having here. It, it, it looks like the roads are manageable so far. We shall see what okay. happens when they have to leave. Dan Wilson said that uh, where we work here in this, this big building, they've already put down the salt. Yeah, I think it was about two years worth of rock salt that they've been waiting to use this entire it's time. It's been, what, 700, 700 days? 700 plus days since we've had snow, and walking in this morning, I thought we were going to have a two-foot storm by the amount of I mean, I couldn't even see the ground. It was all blue salt. <laughs> there you go. Again, they stored it up for a while. They got it finally. They're like, ah, oh, let's finally use it. Let's just let it you, rip. Yeah. You can't be too careful, Dan. You can't be too careful. I was, I was driving around uh, my neighborhood in Havertown yesterday in Wynwood, and it's like there's all these snow plows out on the street. And, like, I guess, again. Those guys have been ready to rock right, for how long? Yeah. Guys, yeah. Listen, I feel those guys make their make a living or at least a good part of their living doing that. They got nothing last year. Nothing. So, you know, I feel for them. I feel for them until we get hit really hard and I have to shovel my driveway. You still shovel your own driveway? I do. Yeah, I do. How old are you? 48. It's a heart attack waiting to happen. I think they tell you to stop when you're 45. Do they really? I think. Yeah. I Is that Dr. Do. Mac now talking? Or? No, no, yeah. no, no. That's like, no, that's real. No, okay. no, no. And there there actually was an episode in my neighborhood a few years ago. Okay. Okay. Blah, blah. 
But yeah, it's so, no. I got to stop thinking of myself as 10 feet tall and bulletproof. No, I mean, you're in good shape, so you probably could do it. But I I got two strapping high school neighborhood boys. I was going to say, what's your move? The neighborhood guy? You throw money? Yeah. No, well, I got two high school kids. Nice. There you go. That ain't bad. No. That ain't bad. I got two sons. They can do it this year. Yeah. 12, 12 and 9. Oh, they're ready, man. Oh, they're absolutely ready. You pay them in hot chocolate. I, Evan, Gabe, if you're listening, shovel time, baby. Braden, shovel half an inch today. That's right. <laughs> yeah. right. Braden, Charlie, you're on call. There you go. Uh, 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack, now on 94 WIP. Eagles-Giants tomorrow. I will be on the air starting, uh, well, I'll be, actually, I'll be on the air all day. I'm on the air at 10 you o'clock are. with Jody McDonald, 10 to 1. Tomorrow. Uh, then 1 o'clock, we got Countdown to Kickoff. I'll be on with Ross Tucker and Dave Spadaro. And then 2 o'clock, the pregame show with Hugh Douglas, Joe Giglio, uh, Elliot Shore Parks, uh, Merrill, cast of thousands. You're going to so, be busy. It's going to be a long day. Yeah, I get okay. to drive up to East Rutherford. Beautiful downtown East Rutherford <clears throat> to cover this game. Should be fun. This is one I'd probably rather not go to. I don't love the 4.30 start. I'll I don't t- love the 4.30 start at all, and I appreciate why they did it for this one. Well, no, I like the yeah the four, the 4.05, the 4.15, whatever start. 4.30 is they're pushing it back. Long yeah, long. and it's, it just kills your whole day if you're yeah. going to the game or covering it in our situation, right? Like, 1 o'clock game, get up early, drive up there, you're home by 10. This is, you're stretching out the entire day. There were three 1 o'clock games all year. I know. I hate it, too, yeah, because I, mean, I still think of – maybe I'm old. I mean, I know I we're it. whining here. But I know, I, but I, I still think of NFL football 1 o'clock Sunday. That's what I think of. I'll, listen, do, do me this. Give me, you know, like a Monday night, a Thursday night, a Sunday night. Give me a handful of 4 o'clock games and half of them 1 o'clock games. I'll tell Play you a what. nice balance. I'll tell you what, Glenn. They're not gonna, the Eagles are not going to play their first <laughs> playoff game at 1 o'clock. If, if I were a betting man, which I'm not – I would bet they're going to be on Monday night again. I think they're going to play. They're going to be the Monday night game of that wild card weekend, if I had to guess, because they draw eyeballs. They are an elite, even popular if they, franchise. Even if they don't win the division and they're the five seed against Tampa, yes. Who are the other matchups that weekend? Man, I'm can, not sure who's going to get in at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's not like the Detroit Miami with Mi- Miami's a wild card. Eh, not as no. not as. I think the Eagles are considered— Buffalo? Well, no, Buffalo's not. Yeah, I think the Eagles are considered, in some ways, Glenn, <coughs> the gold standard in the NFL, and they're going to be on Monday night. Well, they were the gold standard when they were 10-1, and one, and then they've lost f- uh, four of the last five, which presents to me, Mike Sielski, what I fear could be the worst collapse since the 1964 Phillies, unless they manage to turn it around. I— I would, not push qu- back on that? I would not quite go that far, and here's why. The 64 collapse led to the Phillies <clears throat> not competing in the playoffs at all. It led to them missing out on a berth in the World Series when the only team that had a chance to go in from the World Se- to the World Series in the National League was the team that won the National League. Right. The Eagles are not that. They're going to be in the playoffs. I would liken this a little more to... Uh, two examples, one ve- relatively recent, one from deep in the past. First one is the 2021 Sixers, the, the last year Ben Simmons played for them, when they had the lead against the Hawks oh, God. in that second-round series yeah, and burped it up mm-hmm. and blew it. The other one I would uh, 
The other analogy I would draw, and I think you'll remember this, kind of obscure, but, but bear with me. The 1997-1998 Philadelphia Flyers, who were coming off of having gone to the finals the year before and getting swept by the Red Wings. Red Wings, yeah. And then they hire a new coach in Wayne Cashman. Oh, God. And everything, <laughs> everything is rolling along for the first, like, half of that season. They're, like, 27, 11, and 9. 9 actually being ties at that time. Yeah, right. So they had a really good record. When did he check out? It was like after about 61 games. Yeah, I don't mean to step on your story. No. What he did was fairly unique. Yeah. He and Sandberg are the only two coaches I've ever known to do this. Well, no, I think I think Cashman was fired. I don't think he oh, just I thought, left. I thought he resigned. No, I okay. think he, he was, was fired. fired? Okay. And they bring in Roger Nielsen, and it never gets right. And they just they had been going off a cliff before Nielsen came on board, and they don't get any better with him, and they get blown out in the first round by the Buffalo Sabres. Now, I know that's obscure, but that kind of strikes me as a little more similar to what we're seeing from the uh, Eagles now. Here's why I'm going to say this. And again, this all changed. The narrative all changes if they go to the playoffs and win a playoff game. Sure. Right? If they, Absolutely. Hey, if they manage tomorrow to to beat the Giants and somehow Dallas loses, which I never discount. Right. I ne- it's no, like these can't. people say, like, oh, don't even play your search. Dallas could lose that game. Percentage chance? Oh, 15, 20%. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm going with it. Um, if they get to the playoffs, do well in the playoffs, go out heroically, then all of this is mood. But as of the way it has turned, they went from being the best team in the NFL by all accounts, every mm-hmm. power ranking. The Eagles yeah. were number one. Jalen Hurts is going to be the MVP. Why is Nick not getting considered for coach of the year, the mm-hmm. job he's doing? There was, it was, everything was perfect. And then it just turned. And they can't beat the stinking Arizona Cardinals and Jonathan Gannon at home, and things look really bleak. So if I project the worst case, and uh, you know whatever they win tomorrow, twenty-one to twenty in a game where the Giants don't mm-hmm. even play, and then they go to the playoffs and they lose to the Tampa Bay Bucks. <laughs> Baker Mayfield take Baker you out. Mayfield, they lose to the Bucks. This is not the Tom Brady Bucks. No, it's not the Warren Sapp Bucks. This is these Bucks. Yeah. They lose to these Bucks in the playoffs? Yes, this is the worst collapse since, since then. Because I don't remember. After the Flyers lost that year to the Red Wings, I don't know how many people the next year came back and said, they're going to win the Cup. We're going to win the Cup. We're going. Let's book well, let's book a trip. Yeah. It's whatever. No, but, but that. That's fair, yeah. This, this and the, the Sixers-Ben Simmons year, again, I don't know how many people were, were – putting their lawn chairs on Broad Street for the parade ahead of time. No, but they thought this team has a really good shot to get to the finals. A shot to get to the finals. Yeah. What did you think with this team? Yeah. This team I did not pick to go to the Super Bowl. I thought they would not get to the Super Bowl. Even the 10-1? and one. Yeah. I only said so at the beginning of the year. Uh, the beginning of the year is different. What you say at the beginning of the year is what you say at the beginning of the year, and circumstances change. And at, at I know t- you, you – know, I want to stand and by one, it. At 10-1, I will say at 10-1 – and one, I thought they had a better chance. Okay. I still wasn't going to be surprised if they didn't make it. And if they lose, if, if. I know people are like, oh, you're negative Nancy. Like, if. Yeah. If they lose to the Bucks, Oh, then all bets are off. Yeah. Because all hell breaks loose. I, and I will say one last thing with respect to the, the comparison to 64. You may be right in terms of exactly how the collapse happens, but remember, that Phillies team had not been – to the World Series in 14 years, yeah. and it didn't get back to the playoffs for another 12 years after 64. 
That was that one sliver of light yeah. in a quarter century of well, darkness. Well, that's true. That, that's, a, that's a good point. And the, the, I, coincidentally, I'm going to be having lunch with Ray Didinger today, who, who lived through that exa- thing and still almost has flunked out of his freshman year at Temple, year. right, th- thinking about it and, and, and so on. And you're and had never won a championship. They, right. That team had, and this team has won a championship within the last what, six years. Now. Right. So there is that difference. Yes. Yeah. I mean that, that, that again that comes back to what we've talked about multiple occasions on this show about how the nature of fandom around here has changed a little bit. That it's gotten not as dark, not yeah. as fatalistic. Although because, this, this is pushing us there. Well, between this and the Phillies. <laughs> it's pushing us. I mean, us come on. And the Sixers uh, against the Celtics. pushing us back hey, to our this roots. Is, Glenn, this is where I live, man. I grew up expecting yeah. heartbreak every single Who year. Who are we to be optimistic anymore? Darn right. Uh, you want to make a pick on this game? I'm going to make mine tomorrow when I'm on. You yeah, I, I think the Eagles will probably win 31-20. to 20. I think it'll be ugly at times, and, but the Giants don't have a whole lot of play f- to play for, and they're not good. Uh, so I think it'll be 31 to 20. Eagles. I would live with that. I would be okay. Yeah, I don't think we're going to come away from this as we've talked about, like feeling great about them that they've put aside. It's just impossible because the Giants aren't good enough. Right. Even if they blow them out 49 to nothing, for anybody to feel that way, I think the only way the only way people are going to feel good about the Eagles again is if at, at the end of the divisional round playoff game they have beaten the Cowboys and the 49ers. That's when people will get back to feeling, yeah. oh, okay, yeah, that's this team the, the, found it that's again. That's right. I, I think that's right. Yeah. Well, what if they end up second-round play? And I don't know how it all plays. I, I can't give you the scenarios. They beat the Bucks first round. They play the Lions the second round, beat the Lions, mm. lose in the NFC Championship to the Niners by two. I think they'll feel pretty good. I think yeah. there'll be disappointment that they yeah. came that close but to we'll getting back. But we'll survive that. But yeah, yeah. They will have come back from the breach, and people will look at the bright side. All right. Well, there you go. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Come on up. We get the inner thoughts of Dan Wilson, producer. Uh, if cold weather has you thinking it's finally time to replace those old drafting windows and doors, there is no better time than now to make your home more energy efficient while taking advantage of Guida's big winter sales event. Great people at Guida Door and Window are extending the big winter sale through the end of January by offering 40% off every window and door you buy. That's right. Receive 40% off each expertly installed energy-efficient replacement window, which also includes free high-performance low-E glass. And if you're in need of a new door, you receive 40% off any door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. You can also take advantage of Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans to get your project started with no money out of pocket. Now, the offer is for a limited time only, so you got to act quickly. If your home needs new windows and doors, call the experts at Guida today to schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A. All righty, let us wrap it up here. What do you got? You got anything uh, fun going on today, Mike? I do. I have a our annual family reunion on my mom's side of the family. My oh, mom nice. is the oldest of four. Uh, so we were gathering my aunts and uncles and my cousins and my cousins' kids and all getting together to spend the afternoon together and catch up, and I'm really looking forward to it. That's great. Good for you. Yeah, it should be awesome. How uh, about you? I'm having lunch with Ray, ah, which is nice. Catch up lovely. with my pal Ray Dinger. And you then... taking him to, to real hoity-toity place oh, in the city? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
we're meeting at 20th and Sansom, baby, right in the heart of Center City. Oh, sounds great. Shake Shack. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they make a great hey, burger. Hey, he called it. Huh? I said, Ray, where do you want to go? Ray called it. Uh, and then, uh, well, then I'm going home to plan six hours of radio tomorrow. Good so luck to you, man. I got to lay out some shows. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good that's luck. Right. Hey, that's all right. It's what I, it's what I want to do. Uh, Dan Wilson, what do you got for the rest of the day? Yeah, so I'm going to head, uh, we're taking a trip to Atlantic City. My girlfriend and I, we're going to go get some dinner and enjoy, I think, the Borgata, actually, we're headed to tonight. Oh, so it should be a nice, nice Saturday night out. Yeah, Big timer. Yeah, I know, right? Hey, yeah. are, are you staying over? No, 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 we're coming back tonight. Okay. Yeah, I got an Eagles duty tomorrow. Ah. Yeah. Yes. So it but, should be a fun day. Yeah, by the way, uh, it was uh, nice that you uh, got the shot to do, you guys did it. Uh, the, I'm sorry, I'm blanking here. You, ben, uh, you ben guys, Kenny. Ben. Yeah, you yeah. and Ben did a New Year's Eve six-hour marathon. We did. Speaking it was of ri- which I'm doing tomorrow. We did, yes. We did originally. It was originally scheduled four hours, but as you can imagine, we were not short on Eagles-Cardinals reaction. Even at four in the morning, we took it all the way yeah. uh, to Jack Fritz and Rob Ellis in the morning show. Very fun hosting debut for both of us. Nice. And, uh, we hope to do it again soon. Uh, absolutely. I think you will get that opportunity. Good for you. Anyway... What did we forget to talk about today? Yeah, so really quick, I'd like to introduce a new intro sounder for this segment. We get the inner thoughts of Dan Wilson, producer. There you go. <laughs> all right, that sounds a little creepy. So that's how we'll start what we missed every week. Uh, first of all, uh, as we talk a lot of Eagles-Giants here, uh, I, wanted, I don't know if you guys heard this audio out of Brian Dable's press conference yesterday. A lot of times we break down audio and we say the coach came away as a jerk or the player came away as a jerk, talking down to the media uh, Brian Dable yesterday, distracted by a question, and the reporter with a quick quip back. Take a listen. When you lose guys that can make money on Sunday, if they hit certain thresholds, are you aware of those? Go Sorry, I'm looking at your hair. My hair? Yeah. <laughs> Jealous? Dougie's got I am. You should, you should look. You should turn, flip your, flip your phone around and take a look at it. It is a little wild. But yes, I am. Quick thinking by that Giants beat writer. Oh, not please. bad. If I had a dime for every time somebody said that to me, I'd have twenty cents. Nice. <laughs> A uh, couple. Do we know who the reporter was, by the way? I do not. I did not see who. I'll it was. find out tomorrow. Okay. I'll break that story. They'll boots on the ground. Mike will be yeah, up in uh, exactly. East Rutherford. Uh, NFL Week 18 storylines away from the Eagles. Obviously, the Eagles to win the NFC East would need a win and a Cowboys loss. Uh, later on today, got a couple of games: Steelers, oh, yeah. Ravens. Uh, Steeler Ravens not playing for much. They're kind of locked in the number one seed. The Steelers still have a way to get in the playoffs. Colts, Texan, basically a de facto playoff game. Not yep. necessarily. Uh, if the Jaguars were to lose tomorrow, but those, both of those teams kind of playing for their playoff lives. Jaguars play Carolina tomorrow, right? They're not going to lose that one. Yeah, uh, the Buccaneers do. Oh, the Buccaneers play Carolina. Buccaneers, Buccaneers play okay. Carolina. That's their, and they're in the driver's seat to win the NFC South. Right. The Bills can go all the way up to the two seed or miss the playoffs. Yeah, pretty that's, wide. That's a really rare thing to see happen. Yeah. yeah. Can I can I ask yes, an impertinent question here? You sure. mentioned the Colts Texans game tonight. We spent a lot of time in the show talking about Nick Sirianni and even Jonathan Gannon. Is Shane Steichen the NFL Coach of the Year? Well, and you have another candidate on the other sideline, D'Amico Ryan's. Yeah, mm-hmm. both of them. I, I mean, one, it, this one game with literally rook- could be for Coach of the Year. Eagle, D'Amico Ryan's. Right. Yes. One with a rookie quarterback, a rookie head coach with a rookie quarterback. The other, a rookie head coach with his backup quarterback, and they're both fighting for the playoffs. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's the Coach of the Year Bowl. We'll coin it that. There we go. Um, and I don't know if you saw, so the Sports Business Journal, I mean, we've talked a lot on the show about the dominance uh, of the NFL and TV. Well, they set another record in the year 2023. Of the top 100 broadcasts, 93 of them were NFL games this year, including the NFL on Thanksgiving, NFL on Christmas Eve, 
uh, the Super Bowl, the NFC and AFC Championship games, uh, and then a couple other games, college football games, rounded out that top 100. And interestingly enough, the top non-sporting event of 2023, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Is that right? Yes. I thought the Academy Awards were on there. That was also on there as well as the State of the Union. But the point is football – it's just dominating this it's list. It's unbelievable how it, it and it grows every single year. And I remember because I, I was talking to my wife a couple of weeks ago. She's like, "They play football on Christmas. Who's going to watch football on Christmas?" Yeah, and they're going to keep doing everybody, it. Everybody, everybody. In I, fact, dear, I'm going and I'm taking the kids and grandkids. We'll see you. Happy that, birthday. That Cowboys Dolphins game on Christmas Eve, tenth most thing watched this year. It, there are last only year now. so many events, institutions, things in our society that cut across. All media, all backgrounds, all anything. We're long past the the age where everybody sat down on Thursday night and watched NBC. Football is the one exception to that. By the end of this decade, will the NFL have games seven nights of the week? Yes. I agree. I have no doubt about that. That's still hard, though, to to finagle that schedule. I think what they have now, I think they're going to go to Thursday. I think they'll do more the Saturday games as we see at the end of the season. Sunday, Monday night. They've Seeing done Monday a couple of headers. They're doing some Fridays now. We have, well, the Black Friday game. I still think it's hard to do consistent Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. They, I guarantee you, they already have the numbers crunchers working on a way to set up a schedule yeah. that they could do a game every night. Of the week. I don't doubt they'll week, try, week, and, yeah. and I agree that they're going to do Christmas on Wednesday next year. They'll find a way to do that. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. All right. Only time the Eagles ever played Tuesday? Was the Joe Webb game. That's exactly yeah. That's it. It's a Joe Webb game. That's what we'll always. Do. I like who got canceled due to snow. A yeah. little bit heavier than this. I, I like to think of that as the Ed Rendell game. The Ed Rendell <laughs> Nation of Wusses. Exactly. Game. That's it. Mike exactly. Sealski, always a pleasure. Enjoy you your too. family reunion. Thank you. Dan Wilson, will. enjoy you and your wife. Enjoy Atlantic City. Uh, those... Not married yet, girlfriend. What did I say? Wife? Wife. Excuse me. Not, not quite there. You're oh. scaring some people. You, okay. <laughs> Mostly her. I Mostly imagine. her. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Darn right. Okay. Well, Although those... if she hasn't been scared by now. You know, who knows? Those hearty souls are coming up next. We get the inner thoughts of Dan Wilson, producer. All right. Lose that. I sound like, I sound creepy there. Get that out. Uh, Elliot and James are survived the road in, and they're the, going to be up next. The remnant. It's the two of them. <laughs> fought off bears yes. in the woods, and they're going to make it next. Uh, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow morning at 10 with Jody McDonald. Everybody enjoy it. Stay right here on 94 WIP. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.